0: All right, David DuBine is on Radiant Creators. This is David DuBine from Adapt2030. Certainly been on the show plenty of times in the past. And we're just here to catch up. That's what we're doing. That's kind of the whole point of it. There's so much going on in the world. You know, pick your psyop, whichever one you know, entertains you the most, and we can just dive right in. So, David DuBine, it's darn cold where you are, and you're having some environmental... Uh, concerns over there, I'd imagine, or are you not? How, how's the weather and how's the fallout?
1: One and the same. Yeah, the con- I guess they got dead birds all the way 350 miles south of where the uh, derailment was down in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, that's quite a, a bit of spread, you know, and people can try to deflect from that and say, well, it wasn't related to anything in the air where the birds are flying and breathing. No, nothing to do with that. Then they found a bunch of dead birds about 100 miles west of there in Indiana hanging all upside down that, you know, there are probably 50 of them on the line, but they just died in place and just they're just hanging upside down on the line. So it is a concern. Yeah, I would like to talk about that.
0: Yeah, we definitely should dive into that a little bit because, you know, right now I feel like we're still in the data gathering stages of that. You know, I certainly, you know, I find that playing devil's advocate is just, well, annoying and kind of a pain in the ass. I don't tend to do it. But I have been frustrating people recently a little bit with, we don't really know much yet. I I know some people certainly know more than others. But one of the things that gets me is so you'll see people, you know, poke uh, the water with a stick and like the, the blob comes out and sheens and reaches for the stick and grabs it and tries to hit them back. And you see people throw a rock in the water and then you see these pools of oil you know, come up and stuff like that. But the only thing is, is that I don't know if that was happening before. I don't know if that, did that start on February 3rd or 4th or 5th, or has it been that way for a decade? As far as I know, it seems like, you know, uh, it seems like we really need measurements that have been taken over the years to really see what the difference is. I mean, I don't know. Like I say, I, I, I just wonder what the severity is and, and if we really know, much yet. We certainly are seeing frothy uh, water going down, coming out of gutters, which is rather disturbing. And it's kind of hard not to correlate to some extent, at least circumstantially, to that chemical fire and such like that, because at least that, uh, you can kind of take people's word for it that, well, you know, milk didn't used to come off my roof. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now it is. So you can say, well, that that that's changed and you're downstream or downwind from this uh, kind of environmental disasters. So most likely they're correlated. But a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing, I just don't know. I don't know if all the dead fish, all the dead, you know, uh, frogs and stuff you're seeing in the, in, in these streams, it, that could be the norm. You know what I mean?
1: Well, not that fresh. I mean, you could tell it was like a fresh kill. That, that yeah. wasn't a decomposing fish there. But you're right. You know, what What was the bottom of that creek looking like before because you know as well as I do up in those areas with the heavy steel industries and the heavy rubber industries and all that before there was any type of regulation these same areas factory towns have been there for 100 plus years right when there was no environmental protection agency this is before the Superfund cleanup funds. So really was it like that before or was because when you scrape the stick it comes it does come up. And it does look like oil, but it also, you know, is was apparently different chemicals that could mix in there that have the, there. now there was some conjecture and talk of there was some oil in the, a few of the cars as well. That wasn't mm-hmm. considered chemicals, So they tried to split the hair on that one, but usually that oil, as far as I know, I've seen a, you know, a fair few in my lifetime. So have you uh, oil spills in the sea mm-hmm. and that's usually pretty visible on the top. That chemical sheen, was like super thin that was not oil in my opinion that what they did is they scraped off the bottom of that because you know most oils it might have been gasoline that type of thing but you know generally oil is going to have that real tarry kind of black stuff float on the surface that's why they use those buoys to catch it so it can't float away but this was subsurface and yeah i think yeah there would be need to be monitoring pre and post now if they could go upstream Yes. To a different place off the same tributary. But maybe the inflow point of chemicals was around that area 100 years ago or something, 50 years ago. And it still is in the. In the uh, waterways there.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I've been trying to find out, but I don't I haven't yet is uh, like I don't really know which way the water flows from there. I know that in general you've got the continental divide, so you kind of figure water in general flows east, um, but I don't really know uh which way the which way the rivers flow and such. and when I was looking at it, it seems like it's a little bit landlocked. so I guess we'll see how that goes, but it must be a lot more for me, I'm here in Arizona where you know in the summer the uh, the, the heat and the sun burns off chemical spills, radiation, everything, just pure desolation, you know <laughs> all that exists in our deserts are Saguaros and gila monsters and coyotes and stuff so, I mean, I'm kind of kidding, of course, but we're far away, but really we're not that far. I mean, I've heard even some reports of people uh, feeling effects in Canada. And I mean, really, Michigan's not far, Lake Erie's not far. I mean, and that's something scary, too. I mean, it did seem like initially the particles in the air were moving towards the, I guess, northwest, right, kind of towards... Lake Erie and stuff, and that's not too reassuring, but especially being on the East Coast where you're at, it's got to be alarming.
1: It is in terms of the waterway, and I, I can describe the plume to you. I just did a video today when I was on, uh, I have a program on, Bright on TV every Friday, mm-hmm. so today's broadcast was about that specific thing. So is there any way I can share my screen with you? I'll mm-hmm. pull up the PDF from earlier that I did today.
0: Yeah, you should be able to. Where is that? It's, it's under present.
1: Oh, it's okay, let, allow me to open this first and then we'll go through a little bit of it. I'll show you some maps and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and you can share it as just a window if you want or, you know, how, whatever you'd like to.
1: Okay, present. And I want to go share screen.
0: Share screen. Then you can do like, yeah, then Chrome tab window or entire screen. You can do a window of just the browser or app that you want to.
1: Yeah, it's just an app and I need to go uh, a window and there it is right there.
0: And that shook. It. Now that I will do this thing here, where I so let me see if
1: you <laughs> you're able to stream. ask my dog out there. I have a couple of dogs. Okay. We keep them for security.
0: That's a good thing. Okay, I think we can see it pretty big there. There we go. Does it say
1: mother all mother of all catastrophes mother misspelled of- at the top there?
0: Yes, and the misspelling is very very important because that's misspelling <laughs> <that's-
1: laughs> actually adds character to the presentation. Because
0: yeah, that's the real spelling. See,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to have one catastrophe. I needed de- several, so I had to put the I E S on it. Yeah. Come on now. Man. Let me go. Let me go big with the plurals here. Come on. <laughs> but that's the fire. And it's so apropos that it's behind, uh, you know, a farm right there. And yeah. a lot of these are all small farm holders, world record food prices. You know, And then we got the clowns in America telling us that to save money, we need to skip breakfast. Yes. I that's yeah. not acceptable in today's age in this country that our food prices have risen so high that you're telling people that can't afford it. Screw you. Get away go home, whatever. Just don't eat breakfast. Get away from me. This is how societies have fallen throughout history. And Craig, you are a great uh, studier of history yourself. You know that this is how all civilizations end mm. <laughs> with the very beginnings of this. Skip food. No. It's the most important thing for humans, except maybe uh, you know water and air. But the leaders of a nation cannot tell their citizens just don't eat that's not acceptable throughout the time span of 12,000 years that's unacceptable and it's still unacceptable today
0: and it's an accusation it it's an assumption it's kind of a sign up in itself it's an assumption and an accusation that you eat too much and this is one of the things that I've learned recently since 2019 especially with the uh, you know struggling economy the devaluation of the dollar you know lockdowns people the whole disaster that we've been living through is that there's this assumption that Americans live beyond their means. And yes, some do, but most really don't have interest in living beyond their means. And really most don't. And most that do have debt only have it for either a mortgage and or because they're you know, not able to make it and they're not living in extravagance. They just can't make it. And they're going in the hole every month or every quarter. So you know, when they say, just don't eat breakfast, well, that, that's saying, well, you're fat and you eat too much. You know what I mean? Where I would say most people that has nothing to do with their reality. That's most people, you know, even if they're eating unhealthy and they're maybe chubby or, you know, unwell, most people don't live that extravagantly. And that's really, like I say, that's a huge psyop in itself, which they laid on us with that statement.
1: Yeah, true. And then, you know, what's going on in India really baffles me as well. Like they claim that their grain production is at the record highest level ever, ever in Indian history, ever the most 323 million tons. Yet You look at their food price inflation at 16 plus percent per month, month. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's just the January inflation was 16 percent on the food. So I'm waiting like, wait a second here. How are you having record grain and food production? Yet your food costs are running at that high. That's a. Something kind of breaks there. And then, you know, I scrubbed up this chart here, uh, the Indian national prices for wheat. Well, you, you're a, a, you know way better than I with the supply demand side on, you know, valuations of companies and service. I mean, how do you get wheat prices skyrocketing per metric ton this high when they have the record all-time production? You know, something just doesn't sit right with this. The world prices aren't at the all-time record high right now. They were last year. But this year, they they're, not, be, they're not as high as they were up, at, you know, it's so I just don't get it.
0: India should be fighting deflation should be the problem if, if they have, you know, an abundance of wheat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, again, you can see it on all sides. So, you know, what are they telling the Indian citizenry over there? Oh, just don't eat. There's a lot of people mm. over there that exist on just a few dollars a day. You know, that it's a very, you know, stratified society. And there are a lot, a couple hundred million people that are living on just a few dollars a day. If that what happens when they say enough is enough.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's the truth. That's one of the things that we're seeing um, in, I think we're beginning to see that in Europe too, where mm-hmm. with, especially with the, well, you have the, uh, the, the GSM of course, grand Slow minimum that, you know, accounts for a lot of this, but also when you do look at the, uh, ukraine ukrainian proxy war kind of like the neoconservatives neoliberals against organic humans you might say um ultimately uh you know that was the whole thing and not at all to, to derail things i'm just mentioning that um you know that was the whole uh, seymour hirsch but you know, wrote his article we all knew what happened but he wrote the article and there's way more way more way more coming out extremely quickly from that um that uh you know germany couldn't keep its with the austerity that we were asking it to to endure so that we could deindustrialize it bring that here so we could basically destroy germany and and and, and most of the eu most of europe you know germany could not little schultz over there he they couldn't they couldn't keep their government solvent the people were like no we're not going to have it turn that pipeline back on we could give a crap less about the ukraine and since he couldn't actually keep the people he couldn't keep the government solvent He had to give in and he was negotiating with Russia We blew up the pipeline. (laughs) Yeah. Can I
1: say something about that too, Craig? Yeah. Remember before the pipeline was blown up, there were protests in Europe every day doing that, telling the government, screw the sanctions. You better turn it back on. Life got too expensive. Things are 3x more expensive. I can't keep my house. And They were getting mass protests in every single city across all those nations in Europe every single day because they could point a finger at who was causing the problem. Yes. But as soon as the pipeline blew up, every single protest stopped. There was no pro. There, there's nothing to protest. There's no finger to point to. Now they can't blame anything. So that was almost like a two bird one stone type of thing there. The social unrest was absolutely going to tide a wave over Europe, but it didn't after the pipeline went down.
0: Yeah, because no one, I mean, I think that everybody anybody with any sense would have known who caused that, but now that we now we do know. And so We'll see how this pans out. You know, I know many people are discouraged because nothing instantly has happened. But, you know, it took it took a while for things to happen after the Treaty of Versailles. You know what I mean? It can take a while. And I think that I don't think that that the magic Four, you know, uh, uh, Biden, Newland um, and the other two. Tapper and the, what's his name? I ah, forget. It doesn't matter. Th- th- those reptilian bastards, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, them. it's like a, we'll see if they can stay in power after that. So anyway, yeah. Like in India that, that you're speaking about now. um, Yeah. It, especially if it's a scam and the people know it's a scam and they're saying just don't eat. Yeah. How long, when there's that many people and the government is like 0.0001% of the population you know, the population could just fart at them all at once, and it would just be the end of that government.
1: Yeah, and there was something that would have to replace it that was functional. Yeah. And then, you know, this is the excuse that the politician, well, if you take us all out of power, then there'll, no, there'll be nobody that can restructure and know the law enough to to run the government. Oh, no, we could scrap all those hundreds of thousands of laws and make it super simple. First is the Ten Commandments out of the Bible. We'll abide by those first. And then, you know, like the simple yeah. things, of, don't break your contract. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll don't kill simple, people <laughs> or remove all the lawyers or remove all the legislation, except down to, you know, the simplest of things that are, allow a society to function.
0: Mm-hmm. That's how we
1: would do it, and then start back at the very basic forms again of common sense and rule of law and the most basic common sense. Wait, you promised you would deliver that to him. You didn't. Okay, you got to pay him money or her, or the trader, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, Something ultimately, unsensical. if you look at, yeah, I mean, if you if look, go back the, into this screen share
1: add, for a second here, and let's uh, look at it. Yeah, let me kick it back on again.
0: It all worked in the past. It could work even easier with technology today.
1: You know, oh, yeah, and as simple as the simpler is the better. You know, we need to go back to the base, there's too much, you know, law litigation, and that's the way the politicians always like deem themselves necessary because they understand the legalese speak. You know, a lot of them came from uh, you know, type of legalese backgrounds and that sort of thing. We'll take a look at these. Cl- I hope you can see this clearly. Can like, the right it. picture looks like a volcanic eruption for me, but that's actually the fire that they lit up there. Are they? Hmm. They purposely lit these chemicals on fire because it was going to take too long to transfer them from one car into a a hazardous materials vehicle and then move it out. So the expediency to keep one of these main trunk rail hubs open in America as a throughfare was going to start taking billions off the economy every day if that uh, set of rail lines was not open. So they decided to burn it instead of transfer it, which would take way, way more time and cleanup. And then uh, pushed the cars off to the side, which they did with dozers. And then they rebuilt that section of track where the uh, derailment was for the for that uh, quarter mile in there. And, you know, it, it dislodged also at one of the crossings. So they went back past the crossing and then all the way through where the fires were. And they rebuilt that section in just a matter of days. And they're still trying to get the chemical that spilled directly on the tracks. They can't really anymore because it's in the soil right there. So all those trains passing by are grabbing that on their carriages and wheels etc taking it further down the track but you know flying there we go oh come on mouse yeah but flying over this is what it looks like and i just saw some goes i think it was goes east saw this come through the clouds and you know one of those five second animations that shows you the weather pattern in the clouds moving through with the goes east satellites saw this and it's massive it is massive it's like a volcanic eruption but what's startling for me is on this the edge of it, look how it popped up and then look how much heavier and denser it is. It's like a fog wall itself rolling through like a dust storm that you would see out of one of the uh, mummy movies rolling yeah. towards you. But this is the fallout and it is uh, give you some specifics where it moved to because the the flow in the jet stream and the in the wind patterns was all over the place during this event. It wasn't just one steady direction. So as you see, it went down that southeast, south-southeast direction. And this is where all those dead birds ended up in Kentucky. At the very edge there of that very light aqua is where the dead birds were. So you have to think about the density of this as the very lightest density there is possible on this way to, to measure the chemical in the air. So the concentrations were at the minimal amount and they're still getting dead birds at the farthest reaches of the minimal so then what happens when you're really stepping it up into the greens and then the, the yellows would be more the question. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, so remember this, NAMS, meteorological data, they took it offline, this high-split model, they took it offline after this data started coming out. Luckily, I was able to get a few screen grabs off of this, but this is offline now.
0: Wow. Whoever was we really? out there, took
1: it down. Yeah, those are the last snaps off of the high high-split. High split. The black is the densest of the smoke column coming off of there. And you can see the altitude on AGL on how many meters that is. So 500 meters, for those of you in the States, is 15,000 feet. So that line there, a, a large amount of it stayed around 10,000 feet or under, which is definitely raining out in terms of anytime it rains, this stuff's coming down. Uh, the blue poked through 15,000 feet, and the aquas is somewhere around eighteen to 19,000 feet. You'll see that headed over the major... Crop-growing zones of southern Ontario, which is the main corn belt, at least one of them, sandwiched between the Great Lakes down there. In terms of corn, Ontario corn production, that's one of their main regions to produce. Uh, in, in addition, Ontario is a massive, massive agricultural uh, production area there in Canada. And then you see where it's spilled out over Pennsylvania, the largest mm-hmm. amount of Amish are there, and then over the farm fields in Ohio. So this is the trajectory of it. And then they've taken this since down offline. So you couldn't follow the plume to see where it was moving. Because I assure you that even though that spread, as soon as the wind pattern moves, it's going to go over New York City. Or if it bends back south, southwest, it'll head down toward Maryland. Like this is not, it's so dense, it's moving very slow in the air. And here's another thing that might shock you car fans. 70 miles uh, southeast of the chemical spill Apparently, this driver was driving through a rainstorm, and this is what happened to the car with all the chemical in it. Look, it ate the bumper or the side mirror away in the plastic.
0: Okay, I I don't see the screen. Did, did I? I see the last image there. I see the uh, the the smoke cloud. Did Did you change to another slide? I did. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't see it. Let's see.
1: Yeah, I changed from the trajectory of the high split model.
0: Okay, I don't see the car picture. Let's see. What do we, I see like your slides on the left and then I see the picture on the right, but I don't see the advance. I, I don't see it. Nothing's changing when you're going
1: forward. Are you seeing, uh, did you see the black and blue modeling on the high split?
0: I was thinking that was on the, a picture on the left, but maybe it wasn't. I think you were looking at something else. Let's see. Well, I don't know why that's not advancing.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Hmm. So well, why don't I stop see. sharing and then I'll come back in again.
0: Yeah, come back in again.
1: Did you see the models of the actual spread of the uh
0: now that I now, now I realize I
1: myself. there we are. Yeah. I thought I thought, I, I, back thought back I had
0: seen it. it, but I, I realized yeah. now I, I I wasn't seeing it. I oh you it was, weren't? Well that yeah, hurt I, I thought it, it was uh, no, I saw it. But I didn't. I I thought I was seeing it on the left. I see the, I see the small pictures. Like I see the small pictures on the left, but I only see the first big one on the right that that should be expanding out. So let's try that again. All right, there we go. See now, yeah, I, I could see this picture in the middle, the NOAA high split model. I saw yeah. it on on the left, and I figured you just wanted us to squint. I didn't. <laughs> but, no, you don't okay. need to
1: squint. So and here's so, the next stream of. Yeah. So this is just somebody driving through a rainstorm like you drive through the rain, but all the chemicals in the rain, and look at the damage it did to the car. That's permanent damage on the paint. The, the plastic's been eaten away, literally eaten away.
0: And I still see the uh, NOAA high split model. So you probably have to like advance, then unshare and share, I guess, or something like that.
1: Oh, huh, that's so, crazy. What do you see now?
0: I just see the uh, NOAA high split model.
1: Why is that?
0: Oh, now I see it. Uh, well, n- now I see a document with some redacted info. Okay. Go, go up on that. Now it's working.
1: Now okay, it's working. Still, okay. Still so, on the so yeah, Stu okay, Peters.
0: Yeah, you know, now we see Stu Peters, Ohio. This is what's happening to cars after driving through spurts of rain, 70 miles southeast of the East Palestine incident. So those and see, I have seen this before. See, that is what people see in their gutters coming off their roofs. And when and when it's coming out of gutter, it gets frothy like like, like frothy milk based. Like chalky,
1: frothy water.
0: Yeah. So this I have seen, you know, it, it almost looks like uh, when you drive through the uh, assault, uh, a highway that has salt on it, like in the east. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's that that gritty stuff, that gritty, salty st- snow. So that. Yeah. See, that was not happening before. We can kind of we can kind of figure like, yes, that probably was not for certain happening before people would have noticed this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's what scares me is it might take the awareness of people's cars getting ruined before anybody really takes it seriously. Because how many people are really, you know, into the car culture and their car is the part of their persona and they they take so much pride in the car, like a lot of people in the States. So maybe it is that it'll take the destruction of their cars to actually bring some sort of reality to it. Like, well, this thing is real. Mm hmm. That's scary. The way that that kind of level of awareness that that red pilling needs to happen, where your car falls apart and the plastic melts off because of the rain you're driving through.
0: Yeah, it's like it's raining dead birds. Don't notice when it's my car. What the f,
1: dude? Yeah, you cracked my windshield. What this cracked is, my windshield?
0: This is bullshit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's bird shit.
0: That's yeah, bird shit. You know. And now, why do, you see it-
1: the, do you see the sheet of paper document?
0: Uh, I, not yet.
1: Huh. whatever okay.
0: you did last time that actually made it, uh, worked. So let's see. Now I see the back of the car. Okay. Now I see the paper.
1: Okay. Now this is what the, uh, rail company wants you to sign before you're allowed to have any testing of your air or water done on your property. So what they want Whoa. you to do is sign away your right in perpetuity or forever to sue the company or have them be held liable for any damages. Mm. Now, this is, you know, you can look at it and say, well, you know, they can't sue the company if they have any medical issues. Oh, no, this goes way deeper. If they, you know, you understand stranded asset. If it's such a polluted town that they're going to have to do something like uh, Love Canal again, and they're going to make everybody leave, The stranded asset, there's a bailout fund for that, but the companies are responsible for paying for the price of the home. Mm. If you sign this document, you will be zero value and they're not responsible for buying your home, which will be a stranded asset based on their pollution accident. Do not sign this. If you see this form, please do not sign that. Tell everybody you know to tell anybody in the area, do not sign this because you're signing away all of your rights for future claims, including property values. And anything that would have been associated with relocation or with evacuation, staying in the hotels, uh, any of the medical lawsuits that it's sure are going to follow class action suits. Anybody who signed this can't get in on a class action suit. Hmm. They make it so innocuous like, oh, we're just coming in to uh, check. Look, see, it says, can we search around the outside of your home and do some air tests? Can we search on the inside of your home and do some water tests? Can we test the water out of your faucet here? Just sign here that it says that we can come in and do all the testing. But Mm. the very thing or the legal and rightful owner authorizes Norfolk Southern and its affiliates and not limited. And this is the CTEH company LLC, which is actually part of Norfolk Southern. And uh, then on that last paragraph, it says landowner agrees to indemnify, release and hold harmless unified command from and against any and all legal claims in perpetuity forever and ever, including personal injury or property damage. You see so that? They, then, then what?
0: Yeah. So they probably had a whole crew of people hit the town fast with this with this paperwork to get signed because most people would not have uh, really understood what they were signing, especially under distress. You know. So hopefully, people who did sign this, I I would I, my hope is that those who sign this, that a class action suit, the lawyers can just get around it because in a sense. The people didn't know what they were signing and they were under duress, if nothing else. So, you know, I'm, I hope this doesn't stick is my hope. Also, isn't this really an admission of guilt by the rail, railroad company itself? I mean, it pretty much is right
1: there. Well, what's scarier is they have the person's name already printed out on it
0: hmm they knew where to go they had all they the knew homes. exactly where to go they probably got yep. a full
1: time registry through the post office or whatever printed all these things out with individual names on them with the addresses on and just went door to door oh you're caitlin here sign this
0: yep and we'll, and we'll test that's make scary sure that right. they
1: got that yeah. much information that quickly to be able to come around person by person and find them and try and a, 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 apparently 300 and some people signed this but again it was like groups of people around them going you got to sign it. it's a government thing you have to sign it and they're like almost tricked them into signing under duress so I, d- I hope don't. that doesn't stand in court either because that's just slimy business right here. Talk about slimy. You're looking at it. Norfolk yeah. Southern might be built out of steel, but they're slimy.
0: And and that did advance. So we we, we do see, and that's that famous picture you, you just switched to where uh, it's raining and there's dead birds falling in the parking lot. And that was in uh, Lexington, Lexington Kentucky. Kentucky. At the
1: edge of the very light blue that I showed you. Um, so that's 350 miles southwest, and that's just uh, that is just today's news. So this thing's obviously spreading further south. Now let me come back to the map. Can you see that now?
0: I Do you see, see the light
1: it. aqua blue map?
0: I don't see the map. Nope. Okay. Here now we go. I do. Now I do. Whatever you do with that, whatever whenever you do that, it does work. So
1: yeah. Okay, but, but I don't know if you can there. see it full screen on mine, or if I have to keep having to go back to the full screen again.
0: Um, I we see it. The, uh, the NOAA, a high split model, it, it's mm-hmm. big enough to, to understand what we're seeing. You know?
1: Okay. But you see where the aqua blue is at the far yeah. reaches where it says 38, which is a 38 uh, parallel, right? 38 degrees North. And then it's a demarcated on the map here. So it's 80 degrees East, 39 degrees uh, North latitude or West. I should say, excuse me. I was looking at a bunch of South American maps and South African maps today. So this light blue here, you'll see how far it's come down into Virginia that's a far, far away that is killing the birds. Yep. And that's at the very small that you have to realize, don't get me wrong. this is the very smallest measurable amount that they have of that chemical in the atmosphere. If it goes any lower, they can't measure it. That's just the lowest measurements and it's killing birds 350 miles away. So where does that leave somebody closer to it? like within 50 miles?
0: And yeah, and there was that lady who she was 10 miles away, I believe, and all of her chickens got wiped out.
1: Right. There's millions of dead animals around. There was somebody else who had an exotic, uh, they had a large piece of property and they had an exotic animal collection and all their tigers and everything died up there, too. Big, massive, you know, we consider African animals died, zoos, these sort of thing. There's a lot of uh, things you're not seeing. Animal kill off is just stupendous.
0: And we're not seeing that. And the thing that I wonder is, okay, when the actual air on the ground was smoky, you could say, you know, that mm-hmm. seems to be what, what wiped the animals out, or maybe the, the rain or whatever, whatever whatever wiped them out. You know, how close to death are people? I mean, if that was the case, because it seems like I mean, the people returned, they didn't drop dead. So the initial toxicity must be, you know, gone, but that's only the toxicity that will make you drop dead on the spot. That's not the toxicity that'll kill you three weeks later. Yeah. So we don't know.
1: Well, think about two, it's, it's wintertime. So there's not really a lot of wildlife and insect life out there. Can you imagine if it was the middle of the summer and this happened and, you know, just everything went silent because it got all killed off by the toxins. Can you imagine if every insect went silent, all the birds went silent in the middle of summer, that would be spooky. Ooh, but right now, no- there's really not as much life, so you can't, again, compare Apple to an Apple on that.
0: Yeah, there's no crickets. There's no lightning bugs. All of a sudden, in the middle of the summer, you would know something is wrong, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. They they find their first dead Sasquatches, you know? <laughs>
1: uh-huh. <laughs> maybe. Yeah,
0: maybe. Okay. Yeah.
1: Speaking of spooky stuff, why don't you check out, do you see the, this person was in Canton. This is the interesting thing. Canton is the opposite direction of the wind flow was. Yeah. So Canton's 45 miles west of the flow. So the air currents are going generally to the east, either the northeast, the southeast or east. They're blowing toward New York, but this person's car is 45 miles back to the west of where the accident happened and the fire was lit off. So how does that occur? 45 miles west of the, uh, the zone there.
0: That's, and again, um, you notice
1: one thing: it's that chalky white. And I saw that guy boiling the pot of water, and it looked like he was boiling yes. a, a pot of chalk water.
0: The, the guy boiled, the guy boiling the chalk water. And you've probably seen the the, the uh, if not, well, you've probably seen them. Uh, the uh, like I say the rain from the gutters coming down, which is pretty much chalky. I didn't see that
1: one yet, but I'm sure yeah. I'll stumble upon it.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards. But it, it's exactly as you would expect. It looks like somebody's you know pouring. Uh, water with milk in it out of a gutter and it's frothy. It's yeah. And, and like you said, he goes, um, this has never happened before. Um, I forget where, where he was from the incident, but yeah, it was noticeable. There's no way that's not a big deal. Yeah.
1: Another big, a big deal is for like you and I, Craig, we've we've talked many times about getting off centralized delivery systems and being able to grow your own food as being, paramount to surviving through and thriving during these times. Well, even you as a home gardener, you wouldn't be able to plant into the soil. It would be so contaminated that your ability or even opportunity to grow veg is totally gone. I don't care if you have the seeds or not, you're not going to want to uptake that into your food and then ingest it in your body. That's just a no, no. Mm -hmm. But this dot on the map here, are you seeing the the green map says Amish population? Yeah. It's the highest density of Amish population anywhere in the United States that all that smoke rolled over their properties and fields.
0: And Amish have been, I'm sure people listening know this, but, you know, Amish have been, you know, beyond organic for what, at least 300 years? Mm -hmm. I mean, and so, and they're the ones who brought us homeschooling. It was their legal cases, you know, for religious freedom that allowed homeschooling to exist. They basically, you know, beat the state, the, the federal government, the Supreme Court said, you know, they won. That they won in a case that went to the Supreme Court, I believe. So, and then also, they, I believe they've been in, involved in litigation that you know to uh, preserve the individual's right to farm on their own property, which I know sounds absurd, but we know the government, we know that the the, the beast does not want us to do that. So, they. It's funny how vindictive all these things are, because anyone who knows the Amish knows. I mean, Pennsylvania and uh, what Ohio just just left of it our west of it that's like amish land i mean that's really so deep amish you have so much rural communities and uh to bomb that with toxicity you're they're destroying biodiversity you know uh m- microbiomes in the soil that probably exists nowhere else in this country yeah
1: yeah they've been regenerative for uh, you know a century yeah so think about them and I'll just put that put become an Amish for a second that you've lived off the land your whole life. Everything you've ever consumed has been made on the property or traded with another property. And suddenly you have to go into a Western supermarket to buy all your food because your soil is too contaminated to grow your own food. Like put that in perspective for a second. I don't know if it would be, if it would be harder for us to say one day you can no longer buy anything from a supermarket or store. You have to produce everything on your land. Go. You know, it's very much the same shock value that it would occur if somebody, if everything was ripped away from us and we did have to start growing everything from scratch to provide every single input into our lives, it would be just as much of a shock as them getting the land ripped away where they have to rely then on the supply chain. And imagine the chemicals in the food that their bodies aren't used to, preservatives. It it would make them sick. They'd all get sick from eating the food. You know, I really have tried to change my diet coming back to the States because when I first got here. There's something weird in the food here. That just gets you. I don't know. you like, I, I, there's something weird in the food here. I'm just going to say, coming, I yes. lived in China, over in Asia for, you know, a better part of two decades off and on. I was eating a very different diet. Well, not really, you know, different kind of carbohydrates coming in with a lot of fresh vegetables and some meat. I mean, we drink beers all the time. And, and here I'd have one beer and like, you know, explode into like a, a pill boy over here and you know, like a dough boy or something. The food really, there's something in it here that's very different to make you gain weight in comparison yeah. to, you know, I'm on a farm. I'm doing way kind of all crazy ex- exercises and walking with heavy stuff and lifting things that. But still to gain weight when you're working like that, like in Asia, you'd be losing weight because I don't know, there's something in the fat food here. But long story. Like the Amish coming off of 100 percent clean diet, jumping into our Western diet with all the preservatives, they're going to get sick.
0: Yeah, they're going to get sick. And, you know, having grown up on the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Delaware border, you know, I was there was Amish carts going by all the time, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and I've been back, you know, since then many times. And, you know, what people who aren't familiar with the Amish, if you're not familiar with them, that's just fine, because they only exist, you know, in concentrated areas here and there. But, you know, that would be That would take their dignity from them they're not completely unworldly i mean they do know what's going on in the world some more than others but uh they all have a choice to leave at a certain time where they get to like go explore the world for a year or something like that and see if they want to come back or not but if you look at uh you know most come back by choice and it's a unique lifestyle and uh it's strange if you go and visit you know but yet they do it they like it no one's forcing them to continue uh and it's just yeah to 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 destroy their land that they need to live it's just like honestly it's like the native americans it's like killing the buffalo you know you're you're taking this deep aspect of their dignity and their identity and how they live and right now they're financially secure because of you know family land that's been passed down forever but um, if all of a sudden they need money to, you know, buy everything on Amazon Prime, <laughs> you know, and start going to the supermarket, I don't think that they, they they don't have a financial infrastructure for that, as far as I know.
1: It's cash yeah. only, and at least the almond farms around here they're minimum five hundred acres, and two hundred people live on there. So however many families that would entail you know, they would have to sell off part of that, or uh, I'm just worried about people being forced off their farmland. I think I have a couple, uh, let me, let me kick this back yeah. on here for you a second. I had some numbers on what the percentages were of the landholders in Ohio. Oh, here it is. It was please. the very next slide. There you go. So if you look at Ohio, they have 75,000 farms, but most of them are small family farms, 500 acres are under, and you might go 500 acres. That's huge for a farm. That's not really, and that's even on the large end out here. You know, you go to some of these farms that are out in Kansas, they're 100,000 acres. That one farm, mechanized, you know, they go miles before they even turn the equipment around once. Uh, somebody was telling me that trade zag that when they originally, this is back probably like the 1980s. Oh, there's a great movie, King Corn, King, like a K-I-N-G, corn. You got to watch that corn. movie. They talked about the same thing. When the agribusiness would come in, they would buy an old family's full tract of, you know, 50, 100, 200 acres or whatever. The first thing they do is rip down the old farmhouse because it would make them turn the tractors more. So they went through and actively ripped down all the homes around the areas and anything, grain storage, silos, anything. They just scraped to the ground so so the tractors could go through with their massive amounts Mm -hmm. of disks without ever having to turn the tractor around. Because every time they had to turn, it cost them money. So. King corn, that's a great movie to watch, but you got to realize that almost all these farms are real small holder, 20, 50, 100, 150, 200, and even and then the large ones at five. Uh, The farmers won't want to leave out of here either. I'm just going to say I'm going to state something knowing and living in a farm community for a little while now they're not leaving. Like you said, they're in five generations, three generations, six generations deep on the land. The money doesn't mean anything. You got to understand there's some things in life that are you that are so valuable that you can't put a price on it, where the dollar value means zero, literally. And to have them get off their family's land that they've been there for 150 years, 120 years, they're just going to say no. Now, could they be forcefully relocated and forcefully evicted? Well, then we come into some nefarious agenda 2021, 2030, whatever it is. Will there be those corridors of no human habitation? Now, perhaps. I'm going to go on the deep end here and say, perhaps this would be a test run to see how easy it would be to remove farmers and the Amish, which are two of the most staunch, hardy groups. that would be like, get off my land. We're not leaving to test it on the most hardy of the people first versus going into a city, which would be almost everybody would say yes to leave. It's not my apartment. I don't care. Give me the money. I'm out of here. Versus having a family farm that you've been on, uh, you know, since yeah. you remember you're grandfather as a little kid and he was still owning the same land. You know, I, yeah. I just really, nothing surprises me anymore. But these statistics are pretty interesting. So think about this area. Where do you get cheese from, Craig? This is a pop up question, I guess this is a common sense question. One of those man on the street uh, interviews, Craig, where does cheese come from?
0: I couldn't have told you, but the uh, slide here says first in production of Swiss cheese. <laughs> so I guess a lot comes
1: from Ohio. Yeah, but what's the cheese made of? It's made of milk. Of course. Yeah. And how does milk get made?
0: Uh, well, there's these cows. There's, there's these walking vegetables that make milk.
1: Right. And imagine what the cows are eating off of the ground to produce that milk.
0: Oh, uh, 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 dusted grass. With, uh, oh, kind contaminated,
1: of... dusted grass. The cows are yeah. going to love it. It's going to be like a new herb for them. They're going to have a new spice on the grass. They're going to love it.
0: It's like powdered milk on the grass. It's great. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's not good at that all. That is a
1: huge one. Like nobody's thinking about the cattle industry or the dairy industry on how much this affects them. Like they're not going to be able to graze their herds or their, you know, you get you get that right. They're not going to be able to put cow on grass. It's going to go strictly to 100% feedlot where they're going to bring that silage in there, that feed, whatever, or they're not.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that. I throw in there real quick is that it's one of the huge agenda 2030 things is, is ultimately um, just, well, I believe it's one of the, it's destroy the sense of place. And that's one of the big things that you'll see with the, um, you know, there's neoconservatives, there's neoliberal, but neoliberal is more the way this one leans towards, but it's basically like one of the things that America is lacking. One of the things that it's suffering from is a sense of place, you know, state identity. And so in a sense to, say that we are Amish in Ohio and Pennsylvania, to say like we are, you know, farmers of many generations in, in Tennessee, that is kryptonite to the globalists. That is like one of their number one things. Next to disarming us, that is one of the number one things that they just absolutely just have disdain for and want to destroy. And not to pick on Californians, but really They're like a, they're like, they're worse than locusts when they show up to your state. They go, we need to make this state California. We need to destroy a sense of place and turn it all into like a great big strip mall. And we don't like open carry. We don't like guns. We don't like public lands. We don't like farming. We don't like cows. We don't like, you know, all we like is frigging like a perfect subdivision and leaf blowers. That's all we like. If the world, you know, don't mess it up for us. Don't you know, I got to have my Tesla, my charging station or else this place is not civilized. And I'm all about destroying it. Bring it on. George Soros. Come on. Klaus Schwab. Save us. You know, anyway, sorry for the rant. But yeah, I mean. It just triggers me in a sense triggered, you know, because really what you're talking about is destroying a sense of place and identity within this country, within a state that and it's just it's very heartbreaking to see that 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 might be one of the number one globalist targets right now is to destroy a sense of place. All state sovereignty, all state identity destroyed, even down to the Amish. And how much more ruthless and psychopathic can you be? Yeah. Yeah.
1: You forgot the uh, Starbucks drive-through right next to the Tesla charging station.
0: Yeah, you know if if they actually had like drive-through Starbucks Tesla t- charging stations, that'd be so awesome. I would definitely get my non-fat my my non-fat frappuccino double shot right then and, you know
1: <laughs> Would you drink the milk from Ohio?
0: I would sell out for a Tesla charging station at the Starbucks. I mean, drinking come on. fresh
1: milk from Ohio.
0: Yeah, well fresh milk comes from the sky now.
1: <laughs> oh. yeah. So you have to really imagine that that what we know is uh, the the uh, the dairy production and the milk production in that area is going to be greatly affected. Now notice that what do I see? Second, in egg production. Ah, uh, okay. All right, eggs are probably going to hit what ten or twelve dollars a dozen. And then third, in tomatoes and pumpkins. Now that that's a huge thing too. But tomatoes are really easy to grow. And I might add. Uh, if you're going to do tomatoes, just after me experimenting for many years, cherry tomatoes, the little small round mm-hmm. ones, that it could be yellow cherry, could be sweet, sugar sweet. I don't know. There's a huge amount of cherry tomatoes, chocolate. The small round ones, you're going to get the most bang for your buck. You're going to get less rot. You're going to be able to uh, harvest every day, and you're going to get it before the birds. And they, uh, trust me, these cherry tomatoes are the way to go. little round ones not the big ones not the roma but the small round one they're just classified as cherry tomatoes it covers the whole range of them but you can grow that pretty easily pumpkins not so much but again the pumpkins are going to be on ground when they do that so you have to think about pumpkin skins are going to be up taking the chemical as well as the uh the roots and the whatever else and then the bell peppers okay sweet corn now you got to understand corn is a massive massive feeder they have to put more uh fertilizer on corn, than any other crop except sorghum, which is part of the corn family. Now that's going to uptake everything through the roots. So, corn is going to uptake that toxic material much faster than, let's say, wheat would. So, again, when it comes into your corner, you're going to want to nibble on a bunch of corn ears that have chalky paste and, you know, sort of vinyl chloride in them. I wonder what the, I guess the ears will be extra crunchy. Corn will be extra crunchy, you can cut it off easier, I guess. Cucumbers and then chickens, eighth in chickens, second in egg production. So where does that leave us with? Uh you know, the amount of, let me see, I'm coming back to you. How does that leave us then with the food prices moving forward? Just knowing that little factoid there, right there.
0: And that's a big it's yeah, definitely it's gonna be inflationary for sure, but also just outright just shortages. I mean, I've been surprised where um, the supply chain here in Arizona has not been that bad. Um, I was in California for a while and actually was doing pretty, pretty good there. But here we're starting to see like Trader Joe's not have carry uh, Kerrygold butter, which I know is important, but at times uh, supermarket's not having eggs. And that's like right now, egg prices are on the way up. And oftentimes there's not the variety that you'd expect. And uh, you know, I would say that I tend to buy the, the pasture raised, you know, Uh, eggs and such like that and so that supply chain is a little bit one-off you know but going to the regular grocery stores yeah it's we're already having egg shortages and and the prices, whether you buy the fancy eggs or whether you buy the uh, cheap ass eggs you know they're they are going up and one thing about the pumpkins is of course there's pumpkins but of course along with their that you've got all squash and you have winter squash and such like that now i know that they grow uh, pumpkins can kind of grow in a lot of different parts of the country, but yeah, I mean, along with pumpkins, your squash, your winter squash, and that's that's a people probably don't think about squash a whole lot, but we do grow a lot of it, and we do use it here in the country, certain certainly, and um, you know, I would say that for every pumpkin, there's probably many, many more pounds equal in 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 yeah, many many pounds equal greater in other squashes that probably are consumed for every one pumpkin you know? So yeah, it, oh, it, it, it's, it, it's devastating.
1: We have to think yeah. also wild foraging chickens, you know, if you want to free range the chickens, you have to understand yeah. where this toxicity is hit They're They're either going to be in a farm complex under tin, under roof, or they're not like you, they've lost yeah. the ability to free range anything. Cause those chickens scratching up and you know, we got, mm-hmm. uh, 11 chickens out here now are getting about eight eggs a day. They're scratchers, so imagine if you're free ranging a bunch of chickens around and you know all that toxicity everywhere. So it's taken anything on the on the wild range of things, and everything's going to come and have to come into a feed house and a chicken house. You're going to have to put it completely under roof, and, and they're not going to be that. able to touch the natural soils again. And that's the way the chicken industry is going to need to move, especially in this area—Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Ontario and Canada—and probably the Maritimes. It looks like, and you know, that plume was heading over toward. Uh, Maritimes of Canada Nova Scotia.
0: And so you've got the, because you have cows, of course, but also you've got chickens, of course, turkeys. Um, yeah. but then also you've got goats, you know, Um, lamb, your, you know, sheep. you've got lamb sheep, you got, you know, for what it's worth, alpacas, you know, we don't tend to eat those, but some people do anyway. Um, but, but they certainly exist out there, but also of course, all your deer, all of your, um, Uh, elk all of your different big cats out there all of your killed off the entire
1: ecosystem can you imagine that they've been trying to take away the foods for the survivors of people who knew how to wild forage and hunt as you know you know when the food shortages come supermarkets are going to run out but people are going to be hunting deer they're going to be hunting whatever they can get and you're taking out that whole thing of all the people who are ready to prep to get out there to go hunting to supplement their food supplies and get off the system you just wipe that completely out they're back on the system again
0: and then you get into, um, I think, I think it's I've heard you mentioned before I know I've seen it in several places, but the one thing is that don't die in these bad situations are wolves, you know, <laughs> they'll just start eating people. So you're going to get these big ass wolf packs that just start, you know, eating alligators, people, whatever, you know? So yeah, that's really strange because people oftentimes think, well, I'll just go hunt. And I just laugh my ass off. Cause I'm like, I'll tell you what. I do hunt. If you, if you, yeah, if, if your fat domesticated ass wants to come out with me, bring it. Okay, just try to be quiet. You know, <laughs> yeah, get your ass up at three
1: a.m. to get out there and settle down in the stand before everything comes through. Yeah, sure, you can hunt. Yeah, you and I. And did you get up? all the game cams up and follow the patterns for the last three months to even know where they're at? Y'all, oh, sure you can.
0: Yeah, when I hear that, like, yeah, I'm just going to go hunt. and I'll just have my rifle and shoot a deer at you know half a mile away. I'm like whatever (laughs) i'll find you dead out there in the forest (laughs) you know anyway and then i'll just i'll just i'll put you in the crock pot (laughs) <laughs> yeah, i'm my
1: shotgun to get the deer dude you got yeah. slugs or what do you got buckshot or slugs like well i got shotgun shells <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> let me look at that let me see our oh, number six bird shot yeah that's gonna yeah, work that'll really work well. <laughs> no on? problem you can take one down at half a mile with that i can no take down a black
1: bear a bird shot i can yeah. hunt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah so anyway that was a joke
1: by the way <laughs> yes, Anybody i didn't mean yes, that seriously yeah, like, that, you know.
0: that's not that's not life coach advice just <laughs> and if, if you find yourself in that situation if you have number six buckshot, shot if you have if you have number sh- number six shot and and you have a machete you might want to just go for it like rambo because
1: <laughs> you know hey, can i add something to that yes now, for those of you who thought that you could go out and hunt at first it's a skill second you need to have the land and the permission because you'll get yes. shot going on somebody's land if it really comes to that That and you're poaching on somebody's land you might just disappear in the woods and that's a no bs assessment truly like if you get out in the countryside where it's really more remote and people have their lands they're not going to want you out there especially if it's society swung that far already there's already probably been an enormous amount of problems uh robberies and all these kind of things shootings people breaking in all they're going to be very 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 skittish at best and if you're out there traipsing around the woods looking to go hunt you're going to have a problem with the locals that are there but the stories from the 1930s during the great depression The woods were hunted out as far as you could go in any direction. And you have to realize that was in the 1930s when there were five times less people and the woods were completely hunted out, even like chipmunks were gone.
0: Yeah, and there, birds, chipmunks
1: all is gone. And then then, you know, five times less people and that the forest came to that at the end of it. There were that many people out actually hunting and they knew how to shoot then too. You know, all the kids grew up with BB guns and stuff and everybody knew how to shoot then.
0: And there's pictures of it and it's very very sad because, you know, um, humans, contrary to popular belief, and this includes American Indians too, um, are not necessarily all hardwired with a, with an idea of conservation. So we mm-hmm. will kill everything until we starve. Um, you know, conservation is, you know, I mean, we may not like the government, but if it wasn't for fishing game, if it wasn't for Teddy Roosevelt, um, you know, there wouldn't be animals right now. So, um, even though fishing game has done some pretty boneheaded things, but still, uh, so, yeah, it, it is. If you look at the uh, uh, hunting pictures from the Great Depression, it is really, really rough to see because, you know, they would hunt with. They um, would
1: go for sparrows. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: They clear cut at the forest and they would hunt deers with frigging um, landmines <laughs> and claymores. I mean, it was rough. They, they weren't hunting. And there was no sense of sportsmanship whatsoever.
1: It was just, you know, I need to meet in any way I can. It'd be like no different than setting up a net in the middle of rush hour on a, on a crosswalk and catching people, you know, that just wouldn't.
0: Yeah. And if you do, yeah. And for individuals, I mean, there is public land, you know, it's there, but I would just give that slight little bit of warning is um if you are a, uh if you don't know your way around public land, if you haven't spent time out there and shit does it at the fan, don't go there because you're going to get shot at 300 yards and put it and put in a shallow grave, or you might end up in a crock pot yourself. So just, unless you live there, do it, know it. Just grow some microgreens. <laughs> it's, yeah,
1: fully hippie dude. We can can you see the miss? Can you see the drainage basin map now?
0: Yeah, and this is super important. I'm glad you're covering this because I don't really understand this one.
1: Oh, okay. Well, this one also matches up with an Agenda 2030, no habitation zone, pretty much overlays on that red. Not exactly, but the lower reaches from where it say, goes from Missouri down to Louisiana, that whole area that's cleared out in the red, that is in an actual almost 100% match on the map where there's supposed to be no human habitation. Now, that area that goes up into Ohio, it's much larger than that. It was only a sliver along the Ohio River. So you're looking at the Ohio River drains into the Mississippi. And it's all these basins that come down out of the mountains, the mountain streams, and then it comes into the larger tributaries. The Ohio River Basin, so I've been told the, the initial contamination is now making it downstream so they can actually follow it with pretty good uh, accuracy on what the next town is going to be because they're telling everybody, don't drink the water for the next like months because that chemical is going to get in through the river system and into the pipe system and into the water filtration system and i really don't think they're able to filter this out because they're telling you you know you saw those same crazy videos after they filter the water after they boil it they still have the white chalk bubbles and stuff that's crazy but you can see the tributary the way it comes down it passes through ohio and then it, it skirts southern indiana and then it comes down and then it joins the mississippi now we in tennessee that drains up to meet the ohio river so it looks like it's going to the north but it's really almost going to the northwest there off the tennessee river you got to think about how much irrigation comes off of this river alone, the Ohio River, into the farm fields of Ohio and into Indiana fields, too, which is the grain or the corn capital of along with Iowa of the United States. But how much of this irrigation water comes from the Ohio River? They're selling it by acre feet to the farmers. That's how much like an acre foot. You might use an acre foot for a whole year of water in your home for one person. Hmm. Right, so you're buying. They're not buying like we do. They're buying acre feet out of the river on water rights. So how much of this is so contaminated that they won't be able to use it to irrigate crops this year? Okay, they're like, well, big deal. It still rains. Well, no, yeah, maybe not really. Look out west. They're still in a drought out there.
0: Yeah, and like just to throw in there real quick, I mean, if you think about farming, and I've only done a a slight bit of you could say professional farming um and it was organic farming and um i would say the number one issue with farming is water and yeah it does rain it rains everywhere but it doesn't rain many places enough to actually farm that's even if you're doing organic bio intensive farming you know with uh it's very difficult and you don't have a lot of options. You know, when water comes, I, I was uh, farming in Boulder, Colorado. And when the farm when the water comes down the mountains, you have to open the gates to get to you. And then you have to make sure everything is clear. You got there with a shovel, make sure your fellow farmers didn't leave a gate open or try to nab some from you. It's a big deal to get your pond, your reservoir filled, then you pump from. And so, really, it isn't like farmers have a lot of options. And if their options to get water are contaminated, there it's over. It really is over because there's no other way to get the amount of water you need to to grow, even five acres, unless you're getting it through irrigation upstream. That's just my, you know, somewhat professional opinion. Yeah.
1: No, that's true. And then you got to think about you know, 50 miles either side of the river is where they're able to pump through and to. Now, down the Mississippi, it's a little bit wider. Sometimes they can go 100 miles off the Mississippi, depending if it was part of the original TVA projects that they've upgraded and kept functional. They can come more than 100 miles off the Mississippi. So as you look at this map, remember, it's going to be both sides of the river going out 50 miles off there. So 50 miles going up in Indiana, 50 miles down into West Virginia on either side. Follow that river and just draw a 50-mile strip. That's going to be non-irrigatable using this water. Now, the whole thing was... Are the forever chemicals in there registrable, measurable, or are they going to get washed down in one giant event? Now, if they do get washed down in one giant event, look what's at the end of that Mississippi river down there, Gulf of Mexico. So remember the Corexit mm-hmm. with uh, the BP oil spill. Now you got to wonder what this kind of chemical mix, what the Corexit is going to create, what kind of toxic mix? Because there's still so much Corexit out there. You know, that was a big cover up here also if anybody didn't know about the BP oil spill and corrects it, the amount of health problems, because corrects it was meant to break down oil, molecular bonds of the oil and take it from a longer chain into a short chain. And then, you know, that's how the oil would break down. Unfortunately, that stuff on the top of your skin is oil. So people were getting all kinds of skin lesions and things because it was meant to. It was meant to break down oil. Well, that's what your body's skin coating is. There's oil all over your skin. Why do you feel greasy at the end of the day? All right, well, without broke down, it corrects it. Now you're having this unknown substance mix with all these carcinogens and mixes of the vinyl chloride mixed with sub butals and, and a few other things. Uh, what's it going to create once it gets there? Now, first, there's going to be the mass fish kill off and shellfish kill off. Like they can't hide it at that point. So far, they can pretty much cover this up. They're trying their best because once we realize that this really could be one of the biggest um, environmental disasters in the United States history. They can't hide it once it gets to the Mississippi. Everything up and down there, when they tell the people don't irrigate, or once it actually gets out into the Gulf of Mexico and starts that mass kill off of everything out there, I mean, how are they going to hide all the fish bubbling up from the bottom of the ocean? See, during the Correxit time, there was a huge amount of dead fish too, but they were trying to stop all the reporters from going down there. So I'm wondering if we'll see something very similar to what they tried to do a media blackout during the uh, Gulf oil spill, the BP oil spill, you know, they were limiting where reporters could go on beaches and what they could do with flying drones. And they wouldn't let, let them take boats offshore to really see what was going off what was going on. Even fishermen that were there, you know, fifth generation fishermen were not allowed to, you know, get out of port with their boats because they didn't want to see anybody to see what was going on. But just think about that blue line encapsulated in the red, not being able to pull water from there to irrigate anywhere in that red circle area. So forget the fish. I wonder how much will die on the Mississippi going down there, too, like how many catfish will get whooped. You know, if a catfish starts, if there's a mass catfish die off, you know, that stuff's nasty because catfish can pretty much eat anything. So imagine if there's a mass catfish die off and you get like these, you know, Mississippi River got 100 pound catfish in. They just all float into the surface. You'd be like, whoa, you wiped out the catfish population. Sheesh. That stuff must be like kryptonite. You know what I mean?
0: And that's so I'm wondering because, what's going to go on. Yeah, that's rough because a catfish is kind of like a swimming bear. I mean, a bear can get in your garage and like drink your damn 90 weight oil and just, you know, have a bad day and be fine. (laughs) I mean, you know, they're freaking bulletproof. So I mean, if you can kill a catfish, that's some seriously nuclear stuff. That's nasty. So yeah, catfish don't die easy. So, and that's the worst thing is when they start floating up, see, that's, it reminds me of, we had here in, uh, I'll just say I don't I don't like pinpoint it at all. But let's just say in 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 the Phoenix area we had um, some uh, drainage ditches that got uh, closed for maintenance. They 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 get the silt out of them because we live in a massive flash flash flood area. We have to manage these massive flash floods, which 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 is done very well. Um, but they keep carp out there to uh, keep the uh, the. The big ditches clean and things like that. So There's kind of an ecosystem that that it, it is preserved, and uh, it's one of the few things the government does extremely well, actually. But anyway, when they have to drain the uh, uh, ditches out, which are massive, um, they don't quite get. They try to get the carp out, but they don't get all of them. And so you see some carp flapping around, and you feel like you feel bad. And you're like, man, I, I you know I want to do something about it, but. I go well. I could, with that hunter mindset, go down there and just grab a bucket, grab a couple, and eat them. But I'm like, no way, because that is some toxic. Those ditches are not cool, you know. So it sucks because by the time they see them, by the time they see those uh, catfish floating, it's kind of the same situation we have here in you know Phoenix area. It's that you know that thing is deadly. You can't eat it, and it sucks because you're seeing it die, you're seeing it suffer, you're seeing it flip around but you also know that there's nothing you can do. It's just dead. It doesn't, you can't eat it. It's it's a weird feeling, kind of hard to articulate, but if you're a fisherman or a hunter and you see the animal, oh look, it died. Anybody who's ever been a hunter, if you've ever seen like a a deer or an elk get whacked and you saw it, you're like, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like that's mine you know and you toss it in your truck and off you go you know but when you see a fish floating in you know in on the uh, on the Tennessee River yeah that's very unfortunate but you're not going to want to put that you're not going to want it so it's going to be a real moment of I think uh, collective realization at that moment because that shit's gotten very very real at that point
1: yeah, and the fish too contaminated. You couldn't even use it for a soil enhancement either because then you're just contaminating your fruit trees or whatever's out there. And that's... don't
0: toss it in the compost pile. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, you couldn't. It would toxify it. Yeah, because, you know, if you were going to like you're talking about what if you, you know what if a grizzly bear was attacking a moose, but you only had a moose tag, would you still take the grizzly bear both and just say it was an accidental shot?
0: Yeah, say so I, I basically text uh, Texas heart shot at the bear to shoot the moose and.
1: uh <laughs> yeah, I got both. I don't have a tag for the bear, but you know.
0: <laughs> you know, like,
1: bear tag this year.
0: The bear was in the way. Yeah, no
1: kidding. Jumped at the last <laughs> second. Sorry.
0: Yeah, it tried. The bear tried to save the uh, <laughs> the moose at the last <laughs> second. <laughs> yeah
1: you know here's a wild one now when I told you there was a, a fire at this uh, renewable yes. energy company this is not the same fire this is a very different one just yesterday on the 16th uh five acres of plastic processing chemicals at a plastic making facility all caught on fire with the same thing and guess where what's directly east of where all this is burning massive massive uh citrus orchards Mm. Same, same, but different. Like this chemical composition is going to come all over those orchards. They're going to be rendered useless. And you know, the thing about the citrus orchards they weren't really in good health anyway. They were really damaged after a few of these last hurricanes. So they weren't in the most prime condition. And that's one of the reasons that orange juice is at an all time record high is from the loss in the citrus crops for two uh, massive hurricanes to come barreling across Florida, but for this to then burn and then cover those same citrus orchards that were trying to heal themselves. I don't know. I think we're under attack, man. The way I look and now, this one today is the renewable energy factory that had all these, you know, like lubricants and different kind of solvents and sort of things that they pack these windmills with and all this stuff's up in flames. And they're telling people to shelter in place, too. I need to get a location on that one. But when I look at it, I really I hope everybody can laugh at this uh, graphic here, because I really look at the government agencies and the EPA like this. You know, that's all they do. They go out for a quick cursory look yeah can you see my cartoon craig
0: i can see it everything looks okay here (laughs) yeah yeah it's very true
1: yeah and And, uh, and
0: that's it and we're seeing a lot of articles like that i mean i certainly have seen them where you know are we under attack and that's one of the things that uh you know i really can't answer that for people but definitely it's something that people should ponder if you start adding it all up you know are we under attack well you know, cause say hey, everyone has to make up their own mind on that one, but, uh, it's definitely something people should ponder, have your notebook, you know, write down all these things that are happening. And, uh, you know, like one thing that gets me is it seems like prior to 2019 buildings had fire suppression. If nothing mm-hmm. else, it was OSHA standards. You really here in America, it's very, very hard to make a building. That's not, you know, uh, that doesn't get inspected when it's built. And, uh, I worked in construction when i was younger and it can be very very annoying of course you know uh but there's reasons for all these standards and uh yeah you know government bureaucracy and everything else but truly also when we have earthquakes here in america our buildings don't fall down there's a reason for that well depending on where they are in the country and so buildings even if it's a chicken barn the big you know agribusiness chicken barns you know um they have fire suppression they have to you you literally can't do business without it, and so to me, when like that factory that burned that we that you just showed so it showed the picture of, that would have had fire suppression. I don't believe for a second that it didn't. And fire suppression. Yeah, and a renewable
1: energy factory too, with all that high tech equipment in there, man. That would be the state of the art facility with some of the best, and they probably have halon and all all kind of other gas because they didn't want to ruin the equipment in there. Just in addition to having water coming out of the pipes you know they would probably have gas suppression or inert gases to put the fire out in addition to water but you wouldn't want to you know ruin 100 million dollars worth of uh high you know circuit boards and all these things driving motors in the wind turbine so i'm sure they had separate areas so it just doesn't make sense for me how that entire facility could go up in flames either and just, does not make sense
0: yeah and prior to january 2019 it wouldn't have you know the guy for technology forever. And I'm like, yeah, everybody knows that it used to be CO2. Now it's Halon. So if you're in the server room and something fires off the system, hold your breath and run.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> right. They're not going to flood that with water. They're not going to do it because you damage yeah. everything. They're going to use gas.
0: Yeah. So we used to have fire suppression systems in this country. We used to, including warehouses, including chicken, including chicken mega barns. And now, well, sorry, one spark and there's nothing we can do. The entire thing is going up. So just wanted to throw that in there. We, I don't know what happened to fire suppression in 20, in January of 2019, but it seems like, I don't know, something went wrong. <laughs> Are we in there? Can
1: I tell you another one? Yes. Up in Massachusetts, they had a potato facility burned to the ground and the, the potatoes turned to ash. Mm. We're talking about hundreds of tons of potatoes. In a warehouse or a processing facility that they I don't exactly know. There was a it was called quote unquote a potato processing facility. Burned to the ground completely. And all the potatoes turned to ash, as in super dry ash, like you've had a really hot fire that you know at the end of the morning. Uh yeah. That's, it. that's my story. Like, how does potato turn to ash? I saw sasfrabs red there. Hey, thanks for commenting on my channel as well. I uh see your comments, and yes, I do uh, recognize the name. So thank you for
0: uh, staying yeah, with me all these years. Oh yeah, there we go. Very strange to see all these products all unavailable. They don't need rare earth minerals. Yeah, it's true. So yeah, so we're seeing a lot of that. That a lot of quite, quite unique. Wait, let me things. put up the last the map yes. here, if you
1: don't mind. I hate to keep Let's jumping see. in on you, man. I'm bad at that. Stop me. Oh <laughs> no no
0: no no. We're just you know this is this is fun. It's one of the things about. Uh, you know, it, it's good to catch up because uh, we're both busy, you know, and so when we actually have the epic moment to get together and just talk crap, <laughs> talk stuff, it's good just to record it and share it because it's, it's you know, why keep it between us? We don't want to cheat the world. Yeah.
1: True. When I look at the drainage basins where the red dot is up there in Ohio, now a huge amount of that plume went up into Lake Erie and further up toward Buffalo and all that area that drains into Lake Erie. In addition to the watershed and a different set of rivers that would come out down around New York and that area, you know.
0: And that's a big one. See, I'm glad you're showing that map because that's the thing is that I know that uh, it's been on the mindset of many individuals is, you know, where is that water flowing? Like what direction? Where is it going? Um, If you're upstream? Great. But
1: if you're upstream, um, yeah. Follow the red line. That's the direction it's heading from Ohio. But you got to realize that's only the point of where they actually flared everything off of the town where the accident occurred. The drift cloud is way up past Buffalo, way into Canada. So what are the tributaries and watersheds up there in Canada doing and where does it take that contaminated water in Canada? That's the next set of questions.
0: Yeah. So we're all kind of accumulating the fallout and seeing what's going to happen because we don't exactly... No, you know, I guess we, we shall see it. It's one of those unfortunate things is that, um, the people are, it, it's just sort of like the, uh, Nord Stream one and two pipelines getting blown up. It was, you know, Seymour Hirsch who ultimately, uh, has started the, uh, the download of real info to people that kind of had a pretty good idea of what happened anyway. And I've heard from sources, reliable ones that, uh, there are a good number of people who've come forth and kind of set like dead man switches. You might say a lot of people knew about this. A lot of people did not agree with it. A lot of people have come forth with information and put it in like lawyers hands. Basically, they just didn't want to come forth, but wanted the, the info out there. And so in a sense, there's a lot of people who were just afraid ultimately to come forth, who were aware of what happened because it involved a lot of people. Um, people knew, but now like the scene where Hirsch' story is out, there's people who um, have kind of gone from, you know, uh, I want it in my will that this comes out to now maybe I'll come out. So there's a, there is a tremendous amount of, of of, there's a tremendous amount of info coming out because now that it's blown open, people are like, well, maybe I won't, maybe I will take this knowledge that I have and I will just, I will just share it, you know, um, through high level, league out through high level lawyers and things like that. So this is happening. And, uh, so the thing about the situation right now is, uh, we'll see how it pans out. You know, we'll see how it pans out. Um, cause right now it is really citizen journalists. I mean, some people, you know, you've got politicians playing their games and such like that, but really, you know, we are living in a time that I think is very inspiring of, uh, you know, uh, if this is as bad as we think it might be, it's gonna be like you and I and little shows like this, and uh and citizen journalists. Because if you think about it, that's the only source getting this out. That's the only source getting this out, you know. But it is getting out, that's the thing.
1: Well, that was the thing. The the Twitter world today let all of this trend. Now, if this would have been last year when Elon didn't have control of Twitter, this would have been a suppressed story where you would not have been able to share anything. So, the, the ability to share information again is really what got the ball rolling on this whole information awareness. Now it's up on the highest echelons of news across the planet. So, you can't put it back in the bottle. Genie ain't going back in this time. But what now is trying to cover up is the safety of the water and the air. I agree. You know, with that massive storm front that passed through over the last day or two, it cleaned the air out. So once the fire stopped and the air was all pushed, so yeah, they can, with a straight face, say, yeah, the air monitoring there is showing clean air. Well, that would make sense because storm front passes through, blowing through at 50 miles an hour, anything in the air, all the clean air is behind it. I'm just wondering, as they test over the next few days, when that starts to percolate back up from the ground again, will it hit their monitors? Because at 50 miles an hour, On a two day rainstorm, you can clear pretty much anything out for a bit. But then after that, at what point does that fresh air, you know, intrusion wall of fresh air stop and then things get still again and then the air monitoring quality will change? In the water, they keep telling everybody, oh, it's, it's, uh, the water's clean. You can drink the water. You can drink the water. Don't drink your well water. But you can drink the city water. And I almost laughed at myself. Are you kidding me? The well water is going to be the cleanest thing, especially if you're pulling it from like 150, 200 feet down. That's not contaminated at the surface yet. It'll take about 20 years to get down there. But. For the point of these EPA officials to come out and say, don't drink any of the well water, it's all bad, only drink the city water. I'm like, what are you guys insane! And they're telling people that the city water is just okay. And I remember there was this reporter, reporter uh, J.D., I forget his name. I think he was with Rebel News. He had a, you know, he walked up to the EPA official and the uh, EPA director. was like, you said the water's clean here. Let's get you a, gl- a tap glass right here. Drink this. And they're like, no. <laughs> yeah, safe no. <laughs> yeah. for you, not for me. I can't. I'm full.
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, we'll see how this one all pans out. You know, it does definitely not look I mean, it's one of those things where we'll we'll see the extent this really pans out, but it's funny where uh, you know, for any anyone who feels discouraged, you know, I think all of us are kind of looking at the same sources. We're we're following who we follow on Twitter, we're following who we are following on the you know, alternative media media, we're we're watching different uh you know, groups that put forth info that they find from people on the ground. So really it's us, it's us. Like if you're watching, if you're watching this, then you know, you're know you listening to this. You're one of the people who's trying to figure out what's going on. So that's kind of what it's come to, you know, but, uh, if you have the interest, if you want to know, then you have an incredible advantage, you know, you have an incredible advantage, um, because uh you know, raining dead birds will not speak to most of the population. <laughs> it just won't. They'll be like, "What?" Ah, you know, that's that's a lack of equality in the world. Come on.
1: Um, normal Tuesday. Yeah, I'm Tuesday. just knowing, you know, Craig. Just knowing the agricultural plight that we're in might already give you a two to three week head start on getting on this in front of people, in case you need to get supplies or something, or you know, move location or just adjust your strategy now that you're in, you know, a lot of people that were in there got shaken up in the event. But if you're in those areas downwind and you understand what's coming, perhaps there's a way to exit or, you know, do something two to three weeks in advance of everybody else, which would give you a great advantage.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh the fringe dwellers as Wild labeled them, you know, they'll always be a week, a month, a year ahead, whatever needs to be, they they'll, they'll be there and they'll be ahead of the game because uh um Catherine Austin Fitz you, mm-hmm. you know um we all know her and uh I don't agree with everything every 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 aspect of where she's coming from but one of the things that she did say that I think is always really really stuck with me is wealth going forward of course as wealth as it always has been but also one of the essential aspects of wealth is mobility you know can you move you know so it's one of the things that we're working on is uh is a sprinter is an rv you know what i mean like can you get out of town you know and 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 can you sustain your income or do you have enough money anyway and do you have access to it so really it's one of the things that I, i think about is where yes you know still working on the ranch still working on you know everything that you would do in place to you know have a homestead of course but also mobility you know what i mean like the people in ohio you know regardless of what comes of this maybe some of them mobility if you got that rv that might be what saves your ass you know yeah mobility is going to be important i think going forward i mean it sucks because you want to build your homestead and it takes so much effort but you may have to haul ass it's possible you know next
1: so, yeah. think back to the civil war and say 1860s here You know how remote it was in the southeast U.S. in 1860? Like there were not even barely roads. There were like horse paths. But during that time, pretty much everything in the southeast U.S. was completely destroyed by Union Army coming through. And you might think, oh, we'll hide way out here. You know, we're way at the end of a road. We're the last pole up here on the electricity line. Okay. But they found farmhouses tucked into the forest way back in the 1860s. Like, come on. There weren't even roads. It was footpaths going to a log cabin in the forest in the 1860s, and they burned it down. There's an expression as Sherman went through Georgia. I don't know if you've ever heard this expression before. It means complete and total destruction of something. So if you see something that's a complete wreck and I I would before I would make fun and say a complete train wreck, you know, that used to describe something horrific and, you know, huge damage because the weight of the trains thing. You would say, oh, man, that she looks like what Sherman went through Georgia right there because it was so much destruction. It was anything that they saw they destroyed in front of them. And you might think you were safe, you know, as far out as you might be. But if you're going to pick up and run, like, really, you know, we have a house and we got a a lot of stuff in the house here for, you know, working around like all the tools and things like, what are you going to take with you? Really? Like, what what are the things that you bail with? You know, that should be a list of, you know, what can you put in a car? What hundred pounds of stuff could you take with you that would be essential? That if you have to leave, you can't come back to your house. What are the things you're taking with you? Like the medical kits, that'd be first in my priority list right there. Medical kits, some storable foods, uh, portable stoves, any kind of thing that runs on propane, because you can buy those tanks anywhere. But having the stove where you can cook out once you get somewhere is a different thing. You know, you'd have to just make a list of things that you would, you know, instantly throw into the car as you're running out the door. You know, you got to have a a go bag in the safe or, you know, something like this. I mean, really, what's your what's your list? I mean, you don't have to speak it because I know we both have stuff that we wouldn't want to disclose. But, you know, really, what's the list of people's top things that again if you had to start life over in a different state or a different country like what are the things that you would take with you if you could i mean a handful back see i backpacked when i was younger Mm. and when i talk about it wasn't backpacking like you know uh but through europe but backpacking in india in thailand and these kind of countries right africa south africa uh, Botswana, Namibia, uh, Swaziland, Lesotho, that whole South Africa area, Zimbabwe. Uh, backpacking really taught me a lot of things about what is the most essential things to carry with you to keep going. Because back then there was really not very much Internet. I'm talking about the early to mid 90s. It was like your Lonely Planet book and tales from other travelers. But one thing that was always the same of, you know, your hygiene kit, the clothes that you needed to keep yourself warm and you know, what were the essentials on that? I mean, you always had your core kit that you had to carry with you and you were able to put it on your back and actually walk it to the next destination. So you got to think to that mind frame of I have to walk out the back of my house with just a backpack, like take it down to that level. What are you going to take with you? I mean, even your computer would be too heavy and bulky to really take with you. You might strip the hard drive out of it and then leave it. But otherwise, you know, I no know, what it's, would you carry out if you could carry 50 pounds of stuff from your house and that's it then what because two people walking with 25 pounds is going to slow you down tremendously so if you think oh i'm just going to put on the backpack and run up into the forest i guarantee you'll be out of breath unless you practice that 10 minutes into getting up the hill right <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and that's one of the things is where uh i think it's really important you know for individuals to you know practice all these things like uh I mean, everyone has, everyone's different. But for me, I think that like my dream list, you know, and and what I work on is, uh, it it sounds funny, but like, uh, do you go and do Pilates? (laughs) So if you're you're farming every day and you're like working physically, that's one thing. Many people are not, you know, are you strengthening the body, you know, and uh, as far as carrying a backpack, how many people actually carry one? How many people actually have one? they've actually packed up and carried, you know, uh, and how far can you do it? Like, you know, a great practice is to go hike for a couple miles a time or two a week or even walk, you know, with your pack on that you would carry gear checks are incredible. Put it to some kind of a test and you'll find out so much about what works and what doesn't work, you know, um, what hasn't been tested most likely won't work, you know, so mobility, uh, is a great thing and actually you know gear checking all all that kind of fun prepper stuff like how many people actually here's a fun one for the weekend turn your power off at the breaker you know what i mean (laughs) and spend the weekend without power it'll be a little bit the generator
1: out after i do that
0: And, yeah, you can get the generator out. You know what I mean? And then your neighbors, if you live near people, are going to be complaining because it's loud, you know, Then um, you find out how much gas it needs. All these things can be fun now. They can be fun exercises because, really, what you haven't tested, what you haven't tried, when you need it, most likely won't work, you know. So even that bag you want to carry, you know, um, go hike. Get out there and go hiking with it. Give it a try. Um, and you'll find out that, wow, all I really need is like my, my fold up AR seven trail mix and water. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all I really need it. You know, um, everything else is just dead weight. And then of course, gosh, you know, fire making material, um, you know, Mylar small tents, my Mylar, uh, sleeping bag. Like, you know, I've been working for years on kind of streamlining my little go bag that I would, that I would carry. And, um, you know, it, it's still an ongoing process, you know, getting that go bag ready. So yeah, um, mobility very well, maybe well, something, something to be, to be mobile in, and then also having that ability to be mobile. And there's so many aspects to that, but um, so right now we're kind of seeing how the, 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 PSYOP machine is on full speed. And I think one of the things that's important I'd ask, you know, is how do you keep yourself sane? Because, A good practice I've gotten into recently really is staying sane in the midst of the PSYOP machine, you know, and I think that uh, you're, I think you're in a very good spot because you've got enough, you have a lot of tangible, very real things to work on every day that really the PSYOP machine is something you can kind of just see in the peripheral.
1: Yeah, well, still, I have to delve into it to produce my content, but you know, I would challenge that people out there too, speaking of backpacks, a lot of your backpacking usage is going to be, you're going to go out empty and you're going to go to your destination and you're going to fill up and get your supplies and then hump it back to your place where you're at. So try that for a minute, go out empty on your backpack, walk to your store, purchase everything, and then try to walk back. It's not like you're going to walk full over to the store and then walk fuller back from the store. You're going to go empty pretty much. And all you're going to have is like a bottle of water in the trail mix to get you to your destination But then once you fill it up and you realize like how much you can hump or how the straps don't fit right or things are awkward. And then, you know, how do you really get it to fit? And then, uh, you know, try that just to go buy like cans of whatever your water. Go get go fill up at the supermarket and see if you can walk back. It doesn't even, you know, maybe have somebody park two miles down the road. Okay, I'm going to meet you. But then you start to learn how to walk on the side of the roads and how to jump over things and see shortcuts You know, you don't have to walk all the way around to turn on the corner, just cut through the field. You know, then you need to learn about insect protection because down here there's a lot of nasty biting insects in in weeds, you know. But to save that extra, you know, eighth of a mile, if you cut through a field, you're going to want to do that. But then you're going to have to think about all the nasty biting insects and things, too. But the more you practice it, the better you're going to get at, you know, finding the terrain and getting the shortest distance between point A to point B. learning all about ditches and sides of roads and you know these sort of things and different kind of fields and what kind of brush you can get through or what kind you cannot where the swampy areas might be where they're not going across farm fields looking for dogs and there's going to be threats out there too it's not like you're just going to be cruising so you're going to have to be hyper aware when your bag's full but you could practice it you know again you know go in the supermarket buy it and have somebody you know, wait for you two miles down the road and see how long it takes you to get there and how tired your shoulders would be if you don't practice this. I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's a little too much to ask, but I mean, that'd be a great one. Even if it's a half mile or a mile, just do whatever your range is and really see how difficult it is to carry 20, 25 pounds of food in your bag and how it moves or doesn't or doesn't sit right against your back or something's poking you, which I always hated when something's poking you in the back. and just see how it works and do it as an experiment. Everybody take a turn at it, you know?
0: No, it, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And it can be kind of fun. And something I like doing is, you know, grabbing the uh, the go bag, the, the, the backpack, and walking around your neighborhood, walking around the area that you live in, because um, it's fun to learn. And like, one of the things about my area here, I know every alley, every ditch, every, you know, every, uh, like, If I had to, uh, you know, get across town, you know, without anybody seeing me, I could do it, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, you know, I know how to uh, go between places where cars can't follow me, all that kind of stuff. So I know it may be a weird way of thinking for many people, but like, really, it can be very, very fun. Grab your go bag, you know, and just go hike your area. And maybe you might want to drive over here, drive over there, whatever, but learn your area because it's fun. And then also you can start finding wild edibles in your area. You can find, you know, you name it, you know? Um, So really like in my area, in my, that I could easily, you know, walk within a day uh, the desert contrary to to many people's assumptions, which is fine because it looks like a desolate wasteland. It rains food. And especially here within, you know, the Phoenix Scottsdale area and the uh, desert surrounding it, you know, I can get I can go all over this place and nobody would see me. So I know every every alley, every ditch. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and people may not realize it, but that may one day be more of a superpower than you might imagine. So and it's fun to learn. You it it it, it it's a neat thing to learn about where you live. It's fun. Our ancestors knew, I guarantee you that. You know.
1: Yeah, and another thing about carrying things on your back. We found these three gallon water bottles that are square yes you can stack them on top of each other so remember eight pounds approximately is one gallon of water so three eight times three it's like 25 pounds so it's about you know right at the edge of being comfortable and and too heavy and mm-hmm. it fits right in your backpack it goes square in there so if you have to come back with a large amount of money uh just you know or a large amount of water, excuse me, just put that right in your backpack, seal it up, and you're walking as one unit. You need to keep that sucker completely full so it doesn't slosh around. But, you know, I encourage you to walk with 25 pounds of water in a three-gallon bottle in the back of your uh, backpack too and see how that is. Uh, we found those at Rural King. And knowing your terrain too, you know, okay, well, you might be walking around, and, and but is the area safe where you're walking around? You know, cities in countryside same same but different there's parts down here you, you don't walk on people's land there's this place down here that's well known for having gold claims on the creeks from way back in the day and still people still own those claims you don't go walk there period your car breaks down you stand on the road you wait you don't walk anywhere around there where the gold mining claims are it's well-known you go in there you don't come out the, the rules are set they're clean but somebody who didn't know that was just broke down and yeah. was just trying to transfer from point a to point. Well, I can look, I can see the, on the map here, it shows that there's something over that mountain We can, or this one hill. We just walk through there and around. The thing. You might not make it. And the same thing, you know, in cities too, like really where the safe and the dangerous areas of a city, you know, they got ghettos and things and, you know, it's going to be all kind of opportunists during these downtimes. If the, if it really gets that bad, are you going to need to, Cruise around like we're talking about opportunists are going to be out there so you know some areas that are safe now might be more dangerous but the dangerous areas could be like just seriously dangerous areas i don't know i haven't really done it in the city too much but i can you know get around here on foot pretty good probably stronger and on the legs and then a lot of people because i just use them all the time even to go down and get to the chickens it takes me three or four minutes to walk down to go to the chickens and then i got to walk three to four minutes uphill and we do that a couple, three, four, five times a day to go check chickens and, you know, go around the fence one time. It'll take you about, I don't know, 10 minutes to walk the fence perimeter just in the front yard here. I mean, it's up and down two hills, you know, you go down to the bottom of the hill where the wine vines are, and then you're coming back up the hill and it's a good thousand feet each direction. If you do one spin around and you're looking at 4,000 plus feet and some, so I mean, get the exercise.
0: Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. You know, mobility, fitness, all these things, you know, they're all really, really important in the uh, times we have ahead. It definitely is. Well, um, one of the things that I was going to mention is as uh, a podcast we were on recently and you're talking about the cycles of uh, and uh, it's funny. I saw this interesting character, Bashar. Everyone knows Bashar. If you're a new age at all, you know, Bashar, you know, he's been channeling the aliens for a long time and uh whether he's uh w- whatever's going on with him he's definitely tuned into some kind of truth and one of the things he was saying and i found it right before we w- we were chatting and it kind of corresponded it. to something that you were talking about in a previous podcast where um it's called bashar the end of atlantis i'll know, i'll, I'll, I'll uh, link it in the show notes but he mentions like october 31st november 1st november 2nd like about twelve thousand eight hundred years ago or about 10,800 BC was our last kind of major, major earth change when Atlantis ended. And he was saying that that's actually coming again, you know, like big earth changes about the time you were talking about on that uh, podcast recently, was that like 2023 or 2024 or something like that? We had the planetary lineup.
1: Yeah, that is, you know, that's funny because it's October 24th of 2024, October, you know, it's actually October 23rd with the most precise alignment in the second magnetic field that we can achieve during this cycle in the last 2000 years, October
0: 23rd, 2024. Yeah. And so I'm going to listen to his podcast, the, the uh, little chat here again, but you know, like i say anybody who's i'll link to it in the show notes so people can listen to it but bashar's been around forever and you know one might think is he really is channeling space people from the future doesn't really matter um one way or the other he taps into some wild wild uh truths and wild wild information and uh people can listen to that because uh you know it, it It corresponds to some of the things that you were saying. So these big cycles, cycles upon cycles are definitely along with this 2000 year cycle that we have going on right now, coming to a close, coming to a change. um, There's a lot of cycles. So, you know, make ready people. But other than that.
1: Yeah, because you were more on the Aquarian ending moving into remember when the conjunction of what was it? Uh, Jupiter and Saturn, when they got within a couple degree arc of each other, started to look almost like one single giant yeah. planet together. They were a couple minutes o- off of each other there. You know, that was the ending and the official entry into Aquarius a couple years ago. Was was in 2020 at the end of the year there. Yeah. But you're more versed on that than I. I understand the celestials, but you understand the energetic flow within the celestial Uh, placements of where we are. Like literally the orbits are where we sit in the heavens and that's the astronomy edge of it. But Craig, you really understand the astrological edge of it, like the energetic flow that we're entering into as our solar system moves through different areas of space. And we're coming into a really heavy debris field here too. So that's another thing to consider.
0: Yeah. Whenever we've gone through that, that fuzz, that debris field in history, it's always been quite the hectic time.
1: It is about to get super hectic. And I can give you an exact date on when we're going to enter it again. March of 2025.
0: There you go. Yeah. So definitely, I think this is a time where, um, like, one of the last things I would, you know, mention is uh, the PSYOP machine is on full on. And one of the things that I would just mention to people is, you know, during this time, uh, have fun because you know mm-hmm. we do have incredible cosmic energy coming in like right now this is a time for enlightenment or a lot like the Rudolf steiner scholars and things like that are talking about this really is a time of the aramonic deception or it's also a time of like the the new christ you might say within oneself so really as many people have mentioned like Uh, Humanity's bifurcating. There's those who get it and those who don't. You know, some people put it like some people are like plugged in for the full ride, and some people are in like the NPC ride. They're they're just not. You know, so only so much you can do for anybody. But if you're lucky enough to be listening to this, you're definitely on for the full ride spiritually. You know, and so as that psyop machine is full on, they really are trying to control us in many ways and use our power. So remember what you see and you judge and you get hung up on defines yourself also, which is, which sucks. I hate to hear that. It pisses me off, but really, you know, it does seem more and more, even though we have to be aware and we are because it's good. It's, it's, it's like part of a tactical life. We need to know what's going on out there. Um, You know, we really do need our, our, like kind of neo Aboriginal strength and also our, our, you know, our our spiritual practice, because um, if you're not thinking for yourself, then they're defining you, even if it's just defining you by hating them. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, believe me, I hate George Soros, but, (laughs) but you know what? My disdain for him does not define me, does not manifest my reality. And even though it's, it's been one of the hardest addictions to get over i realized to make it through this time and to thrive i can no longer have the addiction to like the heroin of giving a shit about what the world does but yet i do have to keep an eye on it how's how does that how's that working for you
1: <laughs> yeah well you're right with that i try not to put the negative vibration into the field yes you know so you talk about sorrows. So okay, that's a good one that a lot of people are targeting well i hate that guy What a I don't even think i'm in a non-emotional state on it i just look at it as a player with a different colored uniform on the other side of the field that i need to get through yeah like really with no emotion on that it's just something standing in the way down there that i'm going to blow through yeah and that's all the way i'm thinking because once you start feeding the energy that's what they want see this is the whole thing about the psyop is Using your own emotions against you to bring you into that low vibratory state, which are more easily controllable through the fear and through the solution possibilities. But if you can try to stay out of that and don't believe me, I am no master at this. I have my so many faults. Are you kidding me? But sometimes when I get into that, like. I wouldn't say depressed state or just like really like, oh, this is terrible kind of state. I think of myself being in a hot air balloon and actually rising above and seeing that vibratory soup of something real heavy, but getting in a hot air balloon and actually visualizing myself lifting out of that and me looking down on that and just saying goodbye to it and waving goodbye to it as I ascend out of that. And a visual exercise, as long as mental exercise, I really want to like, feel that energy coming up as I release all that negativity of getting out of that soup. And I can actually feel myself splitting out of the layering there. It's crazy. Like I can almost feel it going down my legs and out my feet as I split and come out of that. And I really try to blend that meditation visualization together to uh, change my state.
0: Change that's the biggest state. thing
1: too, is changing your state and trying to get out of that good and bad because it is what it is. It is what it is, you know, through through the course of just this dimension existing, this duality between Light and dark has been here since the beginning. So and once you start to quantify it and involve yourself emotionally into it, that's just not good for anybody. If we could all, in unison, all 8 billion people, just divest from the emotion on that side of things, I think there would be an instantaneous change in our physical reality. It would be like almost an eye blink and we'd be in a different world. If everybody could think the same thing on the same second on the planet of just giving up and then living in, just giving love out for five seconds and not keeping any personal emotion on anything. But if we can all do that in the same day, all 8 billion people, doesn't matter what time zone it, everybody stays up all day and all night across the planet, every hundred percent of the people and we think something differently all at the same time. I really firmly believe that our physical reality would change around us.
0: And that's the thing with the uh, massive, you know, that we're living through right now. Um, The, the mega psychopaths, they know that. And so in a sense, they know how to manipulate. So in a sense, when they make you angry at them, they're causing you to manifest that reality, you know? And so ultimately, like I say, it's like giving up heroin. I'm sure giving up heroin is probably harder, but I'm not sure. Um, It's at no, least harder. Than, yeah. I've never tried. So I'm kind of just guessing, but I mean, you know, it's, it's at least harder than giving up smoking. How about that? Like, to let go, to realize that that's the world of Caesar. You see it, you realize it, you can measure it once in a while, but you got to have your inner, in it, your inner source and live from there. So that's the thing. Um, that's kind of, I think the key right now really is just to uh, be manifesting your state, your reality, because the thing is, is that every individual, like as I forget the biblical line exactly, but it says, you know, all are, all are called one by one. You know, so the thing is, I think that in the world right now, many are called, many are there, like every instant is your new manifestation. Ultimately, you're creating this reality. And so I think enough people, this reality is bifurcating, it's splitting, and enough people are manifesting their beautiful state, this beautiful vision. They're becoming aware, alive, you know. and then many people, they're not, but there's a split and that's just the way it is. And so the thing is, is that you're mentioning everything in one moment and then we have this utopia and yeah, you're right. But I think the thing is, is that, and this is what's causing the massive psyop, why we have so much turbulence in the world right now is that so many people are flickering in and out and then so many people are staying in those better states that, you know, I don't know where it's all going to end up, but. There's a lot of people going in the direction that we're going in, you know, and it does seem like for me a, a whole let go of the uh, you got to own your own mind, own your own thoughts, manifest your own states and just kind of like F them, you know, keep an eye on them because they're dangerous, you know, <laughs> but let it go. We got to let it go. You got to let it go.
1: Yeah. The magnetosphere changes too. And, you know, I talk at ad, ad nauseum about perception of, what you see visually and auditory will change as we move through these magnetic field changes. Everybody's experiencing it. Like there's not one person that doesn't feel different today in the state of the world that it is like something's shifted enough noticeably for everybody on the planet. There's not really one person that doesn't feel that there's some shift that already has occurred that they've been part of, but they just can't put their finger on. Well, that shift is going to continue all the way through 2024 and i really don't know what will happen once we reach this i'm going to call it a magnetic anomaly i'm really unsure i have some ideas in terms of zero magnetic field possibilities of a zero magnetic field state on download that could be put into the human brain when there's no uh functioning you know positive negative field in the brain if it's at a zero field state what could be plugged in there and maybe this is the the consciousness sweep of that wave everybody talks about is perhaps we have to come into a zero magnetic field state and there's a massive download from from the creator into oh, that yeah. right at that point and then when the magnetic field snaps everybody's literally been upgraded and you can see through so clearly you guys can you get out of here yeah you know, we're not even gonna not even a question of we even thinking about yet anything that you're gonna we're gonna believe anything you say or do anything you know. And everybody in Unisa just says, no, you're back to the, the dustbin of history, bro. We're going to wait for another 12,000 years for you to come back. But this time you're completely 100% done and we're going to take the world from this point. Something like that is what I more envision as we move through these next couple of years. That's why the PSYOP is hitting this ultimate point, And there's so much rushing at us like light speed points of light because they need that. They're in a panic mode of trying to control Humanity, as we're getting into these last two years before really the uh, the power bases we understand on the planet is going to no longer exist in its present form. We're really just years away from that, really, like just October. And I do believe it will occur even before October of 2024. I think we're right at the cusp of it as we come through. I, w- I will say one thing about the show I was doing today. Uh, you know, I have my show up at Mike Adams' channel. I got the Brighton TV show slot on 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. I was talking about the UVB runaway radiation event that's about to happen with a catastrophic destruction of ozone because of the mesospheric ice crystal clouds. Like that in itself, the amount of UVB radiation that's going to strike our planet almost instantly starting in August, September, October, November of this year. Mm. There's going to be a catastro- catastrophic runaway destruction ozone event in the southern hemisphere where that ozone hole is going to widen from that to like that in months. And it'll be the biggest expansion of the ozone hole ever it'll eclipse the 2000 uh low records and you're going to watch some serious scientists shaking their heads going what just happened because that hungatonga eruption put 10 percent more moisture into the atmosphere so we had 100 percent of available water vapor in the atmosphere the hungatonga eruption not it put 10 percent, but not just to the lower layer blasted it up anywhere from 30 to 50 miles into the upper reaches of our atmosphere and saturated that with the most water that's ever been up there. That's a desert layer. Basically Hmm. you're talking about a, a once in a, in a 2000 year flood going into the driest layer of our atmosphere and layering it with ice crystals where the breakdown of ozone occurs. It breaks down. It's chlorine and bromine that break the O3 ozone a molecule down and it strips off one of the ions you're left with the oxygen and then that uh, that one atom of oxygen rebinds with the chlorine or the bromine to make different compounds that then recirculate through the atmosphere but the only reason that that can occur for the breakdown of ozone is if you have the crystal surface for that chemical reaction to occur now what we have up there is something like a 15 sigma event of amount of water that was injected into that in a single event you know, everybody talks six sigma events and you're more versed on what the actual metrics are in a six sigma event. But we're so far beyond that. We're like in a 15 sigma difference here. You know, we're talking like once in multi thousand years or mo- hundreds of millions of possibility percentages of one of this event occurring type of thing. So the, the breakdown in ozone is going to be runaway. So in at the same time, the reason I'm explaining this is as the ozone breaks down, the ozone hole is going to widen, and it is going to allow a huge amount of UVB. There's going to be catastrophic uh, sea ice melt, and there already is. I did the whole thing today. UVB striking sea ice surfaces is going to melt the ice faster, and also the crop destruction. I focused on barley, huge reductions of 18 to 34% depending on what period that they are in the planting, the mid uh, growth of the plant into its maturation phase or getting close to the, the, uh, the harvest date and the percentage losses on that. But the amount of UVB that's going to pound the planet, you know, you, your radiation changes things. And Robert Felix, you know, you and I, we both met him when we were up at on that one year, he's passed on great man. Yeah, He wrote that book, Evolutionary Leaps and Magnetic Reversals, or was it Magnetic Reversals and Evolutionary Leaps? But the, one of the main things he kept focusing on was this massive burst of UVB coming in to change the human DNA. And we're about to hit something similar on a very light version coming up here in about, uh let's see, six months. Mm. Yeah. Crazy stuff.
0: Yeah. So we got six months. It he uh i remember it, it's very it's very amazing you know that uh that Lecon that we were both at you know that was quite a uh it only seems to unfold as a very very powerful moment it really was so it's really great to have met robert felix there whatever the title for his book is it's his fault for making it so difficult to remember i'll link to it in the show notes um but it really makes a, a point of uh and uh oh gosh who else have i talked to oh i forget sasha
1: stone
0: sasha dobler, dobler yeah and uh, his books are oh my gosh i have two of them
1: yeah sasha's books are super deep and like They're... shout out to sasha dobler thank you for including me on your release list
0: really that's amazing so,
1: wow i mean it, this he won expert in the field of history and effects of Crop losses, natural disasters, government overthrows, and how population migration mixed into that—that's the guy you want to see. That's the guy you want to yeah, Sa- talk to.
0: Yeah, Sasha Dobler's books will, you know, they're they're awesome. I've got. Oh, no, you're really you're
1: blown back in your chair, just like oh, I can't believe there's that much information, and like it all makes sense and dovetails and connects so perfectly.
0: Yeah, uh, and oh, he makes the and he makes the point in both of his books. Blown back in your chair. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they're, they, I haven't gotten through them. I mean, they're, I've read some of each of them, but um, they're deep, they're amazing. And he makes the amazing point, and I mean, with phenomenal research beyond comprehension, that as bad as it might get, this is our evolutionary leap. Like, like uh, Felix mentioned, this is it. This really is it. This is our evolutionary leap. That's what happens during these times. There might be catastrophe, but this is an evolutionary leap. Absolutely. That's something I'm certain of. So it's all about, you know, are you, are you riding that evolutionary leap or not? And so for me, yeah, definitely letting the world of Caesar be the world of Caesar and creating your own States, owning your own mind, manifesting your own reality. And just, um, you know, don't get down. I, it's something I know I have to fight sometimes is that really, you know, stay positive. Don't let yourself get down, own your own mind, be positive. Envision what you want. You know, um, I guarantee this is a fun one. If you're listening to this, you made it or you wouldn't be here. So we're, we're on the other side, pulling us off towards that next reality. <laughs> All of us
1: and here. We you need know, you.
0: Yeah, we need you. You're important. You made it or you Please wouldn't hear here Please stay with this. us
1: on the planet. I know so, yeah. so many people want to exit this planet on them, themselves. Please. We need you at the moment right here. Mm-hmm. You could be the the final one that tips over onto the new world that we need. So please stay with us. We need everybody right now, and I need everybody to stay with us. Please stay here.
0: Yeah, you you stay were with called. us on the ride. Yeah, you were called to the future. That's why you listen. Yeah, we're truly. all there. Y'all you know, were. Yeah, and so you know I won't keep you forever, but yeah, you know, as far as uh, you know, definitely staying positive, manifesting your own reality. There's so much help out there. Definitely check out uh, David Devine's. Uh, show that he does on Brighton and I'll link to that because that's where he can be totally off the leash and off the rails and he can just say whatever he wants you know um, Scott Adams is an amazing character he created an amazing platform there uh, David Dubine's shows are awesome there and really there's a tremendous amount of help out there there's a bigger community than you may think you're never alone and uh I gotta just throw out like uh everyone loves Joe Dispenza you know there you go
1: becoming, mm. super,
0: becoming Supernatural Check it out. That's an amazing one in creating your own reality. And of course, there's always, there's and always. I've been
1: reading the Art of War.
0: The Art of War is essential right now. You know. Yeah, really, um,
1: it is for survival on how people are going to move.
0: It really is, and like the Neville collection. You can find all these over. I'll link to some of these lectures, some of these uh, chapters of this book. It's all, it, it's all online. You can just listen to it if you want. I'll link to a couple of them. Um, great, great readings of those. And the Art of War is essential because. Um, the art of war gets a bad rap because of the title, but the only chapter I find boring is the one on sieging cities. Cause I just don't see that as a practical application yet. It may be one day and I'll read it. Then I have read it, but that one hurts me, but everything else, the art of war is an essential book. I mean, it is uh, one of the things about it is like it says, there is no peace where there is no treaty and it's hard to win uh, it's hard to lose, but it's also harder to win gracefully because then you have to meet your enemy as an equal and make a treaty where you both win and lose some as equals or else you'll never have peace. It, The Art of War is, is a darn enlightening book. And when you see the world today, you realize that our especially leaders in the West, they ain't read it. <laughs> What's that one? Yeah, thing? the terrain
1: chapter for me is the number one read out of this.
0: The terrain chapter. Okay.
1: Yeah, because it tells you like in, in a, you know, uh, these types of situations in, I wouldn't really say combat, but movement of troops and movement of people across lands. It tells you how they're going to move and how you should move to avoid them, like stay down in the uh, lows of the valleys when you're traveling during the daytime, but hit the high spots at night so you can see campfires down. It just it talks about positions and, and, you know, what types of positions that you should be taking if you're going to move through terrain. You know, so wow. this is one uh, really good one for me here. Let me find a good quote out of here.
0: Terrain. Wow. I'll, I'll link to the, uh, earth. of course, so to the earth. I had it
1: the other night. I was kind of buzzed and reading this one here, but <laughs> talks about breaking camp. And uh, here, here's a good one regarding your soldiers as children, as your children, they will follow you into the deepest valleys, look upon them as your own beloved ones and they will stand by you until death so i mean it doesn't have to be troops i mean you could treat anybody like this there's a lot of just common sense knowledge on how you want to live through life based on this was the greatest uh warrior of the time and you know was forced to write this book but you have to think about that like this is the knowledge passed down from thousand several thousand years ago but really nothing changes in the way that uh you know, you move through terrain, especially, you know, move through the low valleys during the daylight and then where to camp, camp on a south facing sunny hillside. You know, these are practical things that any any survivalist book would tell you today. But this was written thousands and thousands of years ago, which is the craziest thing. And just commonsensical things on how you. Uh, here, Here, I'll read a quote here for you. It says, yeah, when you come to a hill or a bank, occupy the sunny side with a slope on your right rear, thus you will at once act for the benefit of your soldiers and utilize the natural advantages of the ground. And, uh, it it talks, you know, if you're coming into a marshy area, avoid it. (laughs) (laughs) So it says all armies prefer high ground to low ground and sunny places to dark places. So to move through, stay in the, stay on the low ground and in the dark places and you can walk right through them. You know, these are the types of things, Uh, and it it, it, and here again camp on hard ground you'll be free from disease of every kind obviously if you're not going to be wet and soggy and all kind of things that are growing in the moisture there but here this is what i was talking about in crossing marshes your sole concern should be getting over them quickly without any delay and if forced to fight in a marsh you should have water and grass near you and get and get your back to a clump of trees. Like, wh- who would ever think to write such things? Like, come on now. Like marshes. You again. If you're going to be walking from point A to point B, you might come into some marshy areas. You got snakes in there. Depends if you're really south. What else will be in there too? So this is a, the most practical book in terms of so many ways of thinking about life, how to treat people, how to have people stay with your. Uh, with your belief and idea. And this is a good one. I'm also reading uh, the book cover is right over on my shelf there. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yes. Yes. It's one of my faves because I'm trying to manifest safety and abundance during this time. So I'm always writing down these different uh, things that I can repeat in my head. Again, that's all about state. Yes. Bringing yourself out of that negative. Like sometimes when I notice I'm getting there, I, I just whip out one of the books and I'm like, I got to get out of it and start reading and then I get into the balloon and then I get out of there yeah and states works for me might not work for everybody but that's just the way it is
0: the thing about think and grow rich is one can certainly read it um and that has an incredible value of course um but also there are you can get the audible of think and grow rich you can listen to it but also um over on brian scott's channel um he read the book he he read uh, he read the whole book you know and it's like audible quality. It's really, really good. And so I'll link to that in the show notes too because that's, that's a free way just to listen to it. And he's a very good reader. And um, so no, Think and Grow Rich is uh, – it is a deep, deep spiritual grimoire <laughs> of, uh, of knowledge. And it's kind of like The Art of War and uh, Think and Grow Rich are both books that I almost wish they had deeper titles. But regardless of the title, the text is deep. You know, they're they're way, way more than they appear to be on the surface by far. You know, so those are essential books like the um, the art of war. One of the things that is being missed right now is, um, you know, when your soldiers fight with their back to a cliff, they'll always be victorious. You know, and it's one of the things that the uh, collective West is not realizing attacking Russia through Ukraine. Their back is at a cliff. That's their home. You know, it's not gonna work, you know. So that's just my take on it. I have a bit of a Russian bias on that conflict, but that's fine. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, you're right. You start poking the bear over there. And then the think and grow rich, you might change the title to how the biggest titans of industry through history have achieved all the goals. And you know, there's something like this because it really is. And one the one thing that stuck out to me in the book was when an unknown uh, inventor went over to Edison and sat down on with him in the office for like 10 minutes. Came out hired as a position, but the reason that Edison hired him was he says, you know, this man told me that he would never stop until he achieved his goal. And his sole focus was laser focus on getting this goal that he would never, never tire and never quit until he achieved this goal. And it's like, you can't find that in people. You can't pay them to think that way. This person walked in and guaranteed me that whatever it took for two years, three years, whatever, that we would achieve this goal. And that's the reason Edison hired him. And there's really a lot of validity in that, because unless your mind heart is in that and you will not stop, you are like the Terminator to get to your goal. Unless you think like that, you're not going to get there. And plus, you can't buy that. Yeah, you, you can't can buy, buy it. The and you can't buy the action. Yeah, you could buy the action, but no, not the heart into the action you know, you could hire employees, but if their heart's not in it, if they're just there for the cash, and you know, they might work a little extra, whatever. But the individual that's striking out on that never-ending pursuit of that goal—that's it.
0: It's us to the moon. It really was, you know. It's because to mm-hmm. the moon. It definitely did. Yeah,
1: that was the know? teleprompter or the the, the teletyper. And the whole thing about that was the way he sold it was everybody that he approached originally you got to realize we're going back into when they were using uh, typewriters and people were stenographing on paper and there was a faster way to do it with this machine. We're like, we'll put all the secretaries out of when they were called secretaries back then before administrative assistants in the book dated. We'll put all the secretaries out of work and we can't, well, wait a second. Then you could have you could have all that extra free time for your assistant to do something else to help you achieve a better goal. Because the the rudimentary things of just typing and stenographing something can be done with this new machine. It'll save you so much time. That extra person can be used for a different task. And that's the way he really sold this thing. And he became the number one seller and got the entire United States distributorship for it. And it ended up being test or uh, excuse me Edison's partner there for this because he reframed it versus different. yeah.
0: Think and grow rich.
1: Yeah, there's a different chapter on every single titan of industry during the time on how they interviewed them and how they achieved their goals.
0: Yeah, I think that's like the best they-
1: part of the whole book is reading through a chapter of history. A in the early 1900s, mid you know 1920s, etc. But how did they achieve their goals? The biggest names you've ever heard of. He even sat down with Rockefeller and the oil company and all these other people to ask him how they manifested what there was in front of them.
0: Wow. I need to refresh myself on that one. I have not looked through Think and Grow Rich in too many years. So, well, yeah, as yeah. we wrap things up, definitely we have some uh, reading assignments. You know, the art <laughs> yeah. War. I'm going to
1: grade it all. I'm going to give you a happy face sticker.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, email those PDFs to us. Yeah. So it's like um, Think and Grow Rich, Essential. I read that quite a long time ago. I know it had, I, I need to refresh myself on the power of that book because I'm sure, you know, you'll, you'll never, you're going to, Every time you read it, you're reading a new book because you're growing. Oh, you know? every time. Every yeah. single time.
1: Even picking I, this one up, even when I just read you, I'd kind of forgotten it, but it soaked in a little more.
0: Yeah. The Art of War. Like I say, the title, uh, you know, it is what it is, but I'm telling you, it, it, it's an amazing book. I can like quote it all day long. Like, you know, all battles are won through deception. When you're strong, appear weak. When you're weak, appear strong. Endless. There's so many little, there's so much stuff in there that really can help you live a better life. It's essential. And then, you know. I just throw my little my little books out there, like "Becoming Supernatural" by Dispenza. If you're like into quantum physics and things, and you like the technology of spirituality, Joe Dispenza, becoming. I need Supernatural. to delve in. I haven't read
1: that one yet. Thank you for the it's, lead on that.
0: Yeah, it's it's badass. And if you do go to like you know Amazon, it's on Audible, and you can listen to it. And it's it's a very good very good reading of it. Neville, you know, very cool character. This guy, he's the one who really, when it comes to you know he literally says like you're god the imagination is god what you imagine is now simply allow it. it it this is true he he sees the bible as a manual of manifestation and how to and how to basically manifest states you see the state you manifest it and that, that's like the Neville reader and um uh i'll, I'll put in the show notes a couple uh Uh, books of his that people have read on on YouTube, and they did very, very good readings. They're very, very short. And really, as far as manifesting your reality, Neville he nailed it, and I'll even I'll even link to some lectures that were done in the uh, very early 70s. In his own words, him lecturing, just his voice has a certain power. So yeah, there we go. That's how we kind of that's how we kind of finish it all up. You know, own your own mind, define your own states, create your own reality. If you're listening to this, it's because we're all here from the other side pulling us to where we're going. You matter. We'll see you as we we'll, we'll see you along the way. You know,
1: absolutely. You can almost feel the different splitting reality layers as if in a layer of an onion. So wondering if the vibratory pattern that we put out for safety and these types of things as we move through, if an army could actually walk literally through you and we we would be invisible to each other because the the vibratory state would be so different between us. That's what lore and legend is all about, is people becoming invisible because they believe they could. Now I think it was change of density, what they were moving into, that allowed marching armies to just walk right past them, over them, through them, and they didn't even interact with them. They were in different density levels. That's the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. Craig, thanks for letting me come on. I know. Oh, uh, thanks glad for we being started on. Talking about the possibilities of ag destruction and moving into a real hopeful message at the very end here. That was uplifting for me, too
0: yeah yeah we're the ones who manifest this reality doing it you know and we own our own minds we own our own states we manifest what we want you know f these globalist bastards
1: <laughs> hey keep it positive man we need to use that energy to manifest versus giving it to them yeah save that energy and use it for yourself see they're stealing your energy and your time
0: mm-hmm. and your
1: life force
0: yeah keep it, for you keep it for yourself i love it all right take care
1: yeah <laughs> later right Bye.